Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hello everybody, welcome to the How To Be Great podcast. Welcome back. If you've been listening before, welcome if you're listening for the first time. And this is your debut, because that is what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's the greatest debuts in wrestling history. What do you think is the number one? We will get to that uh, in a little while. But someone not making a debut, but actually is making a return to the podcast, is my old mate, Showbiz Paul Benson. How you doing, Paul? Hello, everybody. Hello, Rob. I'm not sure that... A return after one week off can really be hyped up that much, but I suppose I did have a week off just to let the just to let Dina shine. Yes, well, I do. He was fair. very keen to be on last week. In absolute fairness, uh, I didn't hype it up. Uh, I just said you'd return, but uh, no, you weren't. Paul was too busy um, to appear last week, but uh, I mean, <laughs> how, how uh, you know how Mania continues to get updated, and that's going to record another one this week. And uh, old Paul started his own podcast with his son. Uh, that, was, that was that was updated this week, and he made it for the quiz on Sunday. Uh, he was available for that, but uh, no, I didn't want to be around uh, for this podcast. But uh, okay, no, we're just so, just so we know where we are in the pecking order, that is absolutely fine. Saucer of milk for Rob McNichol. I think if we tally the number of hours I spend on this on a monthly basis, I think I know which one will be the winner. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's probably true. Com- um, that was actually Possibly. that was actually really a slightly sideways way of saying Paul you've started doing a podcast with your son Samuel uh, which is just I have been pushing Paul to do this for ages and I think he, I think he thinks I'm joking and the more I say it the more I think he's gone oh, I think Rob might be serious and he's actually put some thought to it and he's done it so tell us briefly about your podcast with your boy we have done it. We are in the process of creating yet another monster. Uh, How Kids Talk, the, uh, the kids' perspective on wrestling, is our new short-form podcast. Uh, yeah, so essentially, we're still working out the format, but it is me acting as host, interviewing my son, six-year-old Samuel, um, giving his thoughts on the wrestling he's seen that week, his favourites from the past, his favourite of a match types, um, he, he created a new match this week. He invented his own gimmick match, which um, I, I think TNA would be interested. Let's put it that way. If they heard the rules, they'd be they'd, they'd be gushing over it uh, with how complicated and convoluted and mental it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's up now. It's available as of tonight. Uh, we're recording this what Wednesday night. As of tonight, it's available on Spotify, on TuneIn, on so on. So it's on Alexa devices, on Amazon Podcasts, on Google on uh, Apple Podcasts of course on Stitcher and it's 30 minutes and it's you know it's just a bit of fun you know it's it's a six year old it's also trying to wash the cynicism of modern wrestling away and have a six year old critique it for better or worse you know this guy's got a very different uh, opinion to us hasn't he Rob to say the least and I think sometimes it does for us it does us good to, to remember that wrestling is not just aimed at us and it's not just about what we think, but it's about what fans of all ages think. And I think it's a really, really fun listen. More importantly, he really, really enjoys doing it, and it's teaching him more skills and confidence. So we'll keep on doing this one, whether anyone listens or not. But if you do happen to listen, then we will be most grateful. 
and all feedback, as always, is gratefully received. So that's how how kids talk, the wrestling, uh, the children's perspective on wrestling. There you go. That's uh, something else to add into your uh, your weekly listen uh, listen in listening tally. Uh, as it were, uh, a fun thing to check out. And I said for years and years and years, not only would I have six-year-olds doing wrestling podcasts, I'd have them on booking teams, um, and so people could actually turn to their six-year-old and go, "Does that make sense?" And they go, "No, Daddy, it doesn't make sense at all." But uh, uh, it'll be yeah. uh, very interesting to see if um, if that would ever take off. Uh, we shall see. Uh, anyway, we we'll be getting on to our favourite. So that's a debut for that podcast, and we'll be getting on to our favourite debuts. Um, for uh, wrestling very shortly in our top five. So what we do, if you've never listened to this before, is Paul and I will discuss a topic. We've been through all sorts of different things in wrestling, particular shows, particular wrestlers, particular moves, particular matches. We decide on what we think is the top five in that particular category. Then we put it over to you to the vote to vote for number one. As Paul said, he wasn't here last week, uh, but I did have a a very able replacement uh, in the Twisted Genius, Dean A.S., a topic he was very keen to discuss. And we talked about the best ever champions. Now, that's the only caveat we put on it. We didn't say the champion of which particular company, of which particular belt, of which gender. We just said who would be considered a great champion. And it was very much down to our interpretation as to what we thought made a good champion. Um, Before we get on to what the top five was, Paul, was there anything that you would have done differently? Obviously, you've listened to the podcast, you've seen the the list, and you know what the uh, the outcome is. I don't, folks. Paul can see the... uh, the, the voting I can't so he'll tell me in a minute what the actual winner was and he knows that already but is there any, anyone that you would have had on there differently to what me and Dean came up with because Dean and I were actually quite funnily enough we didn't have much debate about it we were quite quickly into our top five I think you've got a really good top five I think you would have asked me my top five before I listened to the, to the podcast which in fact in real life you did but for the sake of listeners if you had <laughs> I would have maybe given you a slightly different five but when I did listen to the podcast and heard that you guys very distinctly based it on you know title holders and how credible they were as champions and their longevity and all sorts of other criteria, then personally I think that you've got the list pretty much spot on. Um, there's not not a huge amount of sort of there's not much, not much at all I'd change on there. I think you've you've got a really really strong top five. I enjoyed I like the way you've thrown Charlotte Flair on there. Um, because really, she has been an absolute standard bearer in recent years, hasn't she? She's been a wonderful champion. Like she, her or dislike her, she is she is she is bred to be a champion. She is, and what we were trying to talk about, like if you didn't listen to the podcast last last week, what Dean and I were talking about was very much that this was not anything to do with booking. You know, we were trying to take booking out of the equation. It's not because there are some people who go, oh no, I'm fed up with Charlotte. She's been thrown down our throats. So it's like, okay, fine, but that's not her fault. We're talking about her qualities as opposed to what she's been asked to do. Um, you know, by a booker, uh, a little bit like like asking who's who's got your favourite singing voice as opposed to who does the best song, because you know sometimes right. you might not you might not like the song, but you actually like the way they sing, or, or indeed vice versa. Um, and I think when you come to Charlotte, it's like, well, tell me something that she doesn't do like a wrestler, uh, like a champion, because she's an excellent wrestler, she's a good promo, she's if she especially being a heel champion, she's very cocky, she's statuesque, she holds the belt well, she carries herself like a star. 
like, she's presentable. She, I just think I think she covers every box. And like honestly, I don't think she will win the poll. You're going to tell me in a minute. But honestly, if she was in the top two or three, like, like it wouldn't stress me out. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that I think she fulfills every criteria. The only reason that she probably wouldn't win it is possibly I will say this possibly because she's a woman and people are not quite yet ready to accept that on the same level they should be but they're not uh, and secondly I think perhaps people don't like her because of her you know the, the, the character is being a little bit over overdone the similar way that you know people probably wouldn't have accepted Roman Reigns if we put it on there although I know Roman over the last you know five or six weeks has been a bit of a different kettle of fish but over the last five or six years has not really been particularly accepted so um, I don't it was not it wasn't controversial on, on our parts we weren't trying to stir anything up we weren't trying to make it a talking point or anything like that we felt she deserved it and and I think you're right too now like you you touched on it there like in terms of the poll I will reveal she finished dead last but I don't think that's any anything to do with her quality or I don't agree with the fact that she's a woman I think she's seen as this establishment figure um, in the same way that as you said Roman Reigns has been and previously John Cena has been and I think people have come round to John Cena only really certainly in the last three four years um since he stopped being the man, basically. Um, similar with Reigns. Like, now Reigns pushes that top deal and or babyface. People have come round to him. I know there's a bit more to it there. But Charlotte is still very much in that position. She's the franchise player. Come on, mate, she's pushed down her throats. I think to, to a lot of people, she represents what they don't particularly like about modern WWE. So I think that's the reason why she hasn't fared well. You know, I can, but nothing I can... to do with her quality as a wrestler. I can see that, and in fairness about her coming fifth, I, you know, I would place her fifth as well because you know we came up with the other yeah. four quite easily, and we were looking for who was going to be the fifth one. We were very much agreed on four, and then looking for a fifth. So I would have, I would place her fifth as well. But I think that the the, the most interesting, you know, one that didn't appear there was we didn't put Stone Cold Steve Austin on there, and that would be the one that people would be, oh well, you're talking about the face of the company, you're talking about the person it was built around. It's like yes, but that's not that wasn't the focus. The point was about. How, and listen, he was a great champion, but when we were talking about absolutely right on the very top, I enjoyed most of Austin's work when he was fighting. He was when he was the underdog, you know, when he was trying Agreed. to fight the establishment and bring the, you know, bring everything down. And that's not a champion. It doesn't make him a bad champion, but it means that his best work was not when he was the, the top man. Whereas if you take someone like Hogan, you know, who obviously was was going to make the list. You know, it's hard to... I'm talking about babyface Hogan in the WWF particularly. It's hard to see Hogan in any other position as, you know, the superhero. And actually, even as the heel in WCW, he had to be... He has to be the top man. That's that's how it works with yeah. him. You can't see, you know, for example, Ric Flair being the, an 18-month champion constantly being chased by Hulk Hogan. It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's not the right dynamic. So that's why, you know, Hogan is much more of a recognisable champion to me than Austin is, who you can have chasing the belt for ages and ages and ages and ages, and when he finally gets there, that's the moment. It's not necessarily the title reign. There is a difference. There is, and I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, so just to run down the rest in reverse order, um, John Cena in fourth, um, Rick Flair in third. I was surprised it was that low, actually. Well, not surprised. The competition's tough, but Flair was my vote. Let's put it that way. Um, and then second was Hulk Hogan, which means top by a fairly wide margin, as is becoming fairly consistent here, uh, Bret Hart. So, so Bret Hart is, does tend to win these things when he gets on. 
He does, and you know this. But this this is not one I thought he would win. And and you know, and most of the listeners know that I'm an absolutely massive Bret Hart fan. My favourite wrestler of sure. all time. No one I'd rather watch. But I wouldn't have voted for him in this poll. In fact, I didn't. I did vote. I went to the poll and I voted, and I voted for Ric Flair, because I just think that we were talking about the qualities of the champ. I actually think Ric Flair. Well, listen, he wouldn't have struggled because he's one of the best wrestlers of all, best wrestlers of all time, best sports entertainers of all time. Call it what you will. But actually, if you take the belt away from Flair. He becomes far less interesting. You know, do you know yes. what I mean? It's like part of the, the, the beauty of Ric Flair, in, especially in his early days in the territories, was travelling with the belt, having something he could brag about. Certain types of heels need something that they can brag about. Someone we didn't really go into any depth about last week, um, who I think is, a, you know, they've tried to go with the modern day Ric Flair thing a couple of times, and it doesn't really work. But there is some similarities with someone like The Miz. And it's like The Miz. You know, having a belt is one of the reasons why he's been, you know, intercontinental champion a lot, because Miz having something to brag about helps him. Even with someone like Owen Hart, who might not have had a belt very often, had something like his slammies. Sure. You know, or there's been characters that have been king of the ring. That's another topic we've done on the podcast. Heels need something to brag about, to show off about, especially if they don't deserve it. And which was one of the reasons why I, I was, you know, very keen on JBL being a, a potential for that that poll last week. I thought JBL was an excellent champion. But to me, Flair was the epitome of having something, boasting about it, but also living the life. Um, and just every, you know, every part of him was the champ, wasn't it? I can imagine people, you know, just thinking of him as the champ. But you know, Brett's a very worthy winner. Brett was you know coasted onto that list probably deserves to certainly be in the top three um and it's uh, it's everyone's personal opinion about who's number one but uh interesting to see that he won another poll because he does win a lot of our polls there we go so that is it bret hart voted as the greatest champion of all time by the how to be great listenership so well done guys let's get this next show on the road shall we yeah, this is a fun one. Um, there's a reason. We'll tell you at the end of the podcast why we've come up with... In fact, no, maybe we won't. We might maybe tell you next week why we came up with the topic for today because we don't want to prejudice you, but something in particular um, you know, sort of reminded us of, of something. So we uh, decided to do this particular topic this week. We did Champions last week, obviously building up to the uh, Clash of Champions pay-per-view. But uh, a debut is an interesting thing, and then we often make some clarifications on here in terms of uh, what the rules are you know a couple of weeks ago when we did a tag team breakup you know we talked about whether it counted if it was a stable if it counted if um, you know they, they yes. stopped wrestling together but you know we, we went into singles wrestling there was there was lots of you know reasons we had for the breakups and, and for you know for how we classified them so I think we need to do a couple more here one is that are we we're counting I believe as a debut their first live appearance on a wrestling show so it doesn't have to be a match it doesn't have to be a promo it doesn't have to be anything but appearing live in front of a crowd at a show is really is the debut yes it is and we are counting solely that so um, whatever they do in that first segment or program counts as their debut so there are numerous examples of guys coming in and, and having really hot starts to their sort of careers in wrestling or in, a, in certain wrestling companies should I say but without having that massive, massive impact in uh, in that first segment, a great example being Goldberg. Um, wonderful story straight off the bat. Very quickly got very hot. But that opening match, that opening night, was nothing particularly to write home about. So he wouldn't be considered. Uh, considered. And similarly, the opposite is true. Um, if you've got guys that have a wonderful debut on that very first night, and then it very, very quickly goes for absolute shit. Um, as has happened on many occasions in wrestling history, we are not taking that into consideration. We are talking in total isolation 
about that first appearance. So if everything else is completely pants following it, listener, feel free to make to make that part of your criteria. We are not disqualifying it for that. We are literally talking about that very first appearance. Yeah, and I've got a couple of those turkeys on my list. Don't you worry about that. I've got a, that is not a veiled reference to the gobbledygooker, but. Um, uh, I do have a, I do have a couple, I do have a couple of you know excellent debuts that went to uh, to absolutely nothing. And the other thing is that we're, we're putting a bit of a, a caveat on um, a returning star. You know, if someone were to return, we're really talking about them. Um, it's their first appearance for a company, or it's a return to the company under a new guise. Is that that fair to say? I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, I think a discernibly new character. And we'll, we'll, we'll use our judgment with this one, but a discernibly new character counts as a debut. Um, certainly things like switching brands don't count as debut. So say Finn Balor debuting on Raw. Um, again, good debut. Uh, I think he beat Roman Reigns, if I remember rightly, that debut. But it, it, it doesn't count for us because he was in NXT prior to that, and that's part of the WWE system. So it has to be a fresh character making their first appearance in that company. So, for instance, um, Ric Flair when he came back to WWE in 2002 had a wonderful segment at the end of the invasion area there era there but you know he'd been in WWE before so we can't talk about that okay well okay and interesting in terms of the being under the WWE envelope because one of the ones I've got on my list because I've absentmindedly written it down forgetting really where he came from is I've got Kevin Owens down um, yes you know, for his debut bringing a calling up you know, getting a call up for the, the match well not only for the match but the answering John Cena's challenge so we would consider then that, um, that Kevin Owens wouldn't be el- well Kevin Owens would be eligible for his NXT debut if you know if indeed that was considered it but he wouldn't be considered for the uh, the answering John Cena's challenge correct but don't worry we'll still be talking about Kevin Owens ok fine what well, do you want to start with that do you want to start with Kevin Owens well why on earth not Cena's were there do you, uh, let me let me sort of refresh anyone's memories that doesn't remember um, Kevin Owens' debut. So um, this is back in the time where NXT was really churning through those independent wrestling darlings. It's slowed down a lot now because obviously they've got a lot of them, or AEW have got a lot of them under contracts already. But back then, this is when NXT was really becoming that home of the of the, ind- the popular independent wrestlers. So within a few months of each other, you got Neville. Um, you've got Sami Zayn, uh, you've got Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, um, Hideo Itami, uh, which of course was Kenta, uh, and probably a couple of others that's named Skimmy. But primarily here we're going to talk about Owens, and what a great debut that was. It's so perfectly leaned into everything, because the problem they had with debuting guys like Owens and whatnot back then is the fans loved them so much that they were automatically baby faces, weren't they? So if you remember right. Um, on this episode of uh, NXT, Kevin Owens opened opened the show in the first match. Um, I believe it was against Juice Robinson, but don't quote me on that. Um, but he, he was a babyface. He came in, the fans loved him. He wrestled like a babyface. He acted like a babyface, and he won his match and got on out of there. Um, then in the main event, it was a uh, Sami Zayn. Um, in fact, was it when he won the title? Was it when Sami Zayn won the title? It might well have been that very same night. Um, but anyway, Sami Zayn's there celebrating with his NXT belt at the end of the, end of the show, and his, his friend Kevin Owens comes out to celebrate with him. And again, everybody knew these two had a storied history as friends and rivals, mainly friends. Um, so they were really into it. Owens celebrating his friend's big victory. They leave the ring, and bosh, 
Owens turns on him. We should have all saw it, seen it coming. None of us saw it coming. And it was absolutely a vicious beatdown that instantly made him the biggest heel in NXT. And indeed, very quickly um, led on to him beating Zayn for that belt. Um, mate, it made him a star. In one segment, it made him an absolute star. And it, it was so good in letting people get there cheering and uh, love for the guy out of the way early doors and then go right you're going to hate him now and here's why because you might love Kevin Owens but you love Sami Zayn even more don't you so uh, they use that that emotion they use the audience's emotion to their own to their advantage to the booking's advantage and I thought it was just sensational absolutely brilliant it made Owens a very big deal on night one whether you knew him or not I think that's one of the interesting things that we're going to continue to talk about on this particular podcast is um, there are there are great debuts that are considered great debuts purely because of the context, and we'll come to that in due course. But someone literally walking out onto a stage, getting a cheer because of who they are, and then walking away again would in some ways be considered a great debut. And then maybe it is, maybe that is that is going to count. This fulfills two criteria criteria because first of all people were looking forward to see Kevin Owens he had his match against you called him Juice Robinson but yeah CJ Parker at the time um, and then later on that night something else happened so it's uh, it, it's twofold isn't it they've managed to do something uh, you know effective I mean it's, it's even if it let's let's say for example that it hadn't been his debut let's say he'd wrestled for three or four weeks on NXT and then had done the angle with Zayn we'd be st- saying yeah. that is a great angle wouldn't we it would consider, be considered Absolutely. a great angle. It happens to be his debut as well, so you get a twofer. You get, you know, the the debut of this great independent star that people want to see, and you get a really interesting angle that after, you know, two and a half hours in the company, he's over. You know what he's about. You know he's a heel. You've got something to remember him by, and he's got a, a you know a program going forward for the championship. So it's, um, you know, it fits. Um, it fits all ends up. And do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a little bit in terms of having a debut, having a match, and then in the main event of the show, uh, doing something to send you going forward. It's not a turn necessarily, where Owens might have been cheered early on, then booed later. Uh, if I were to say it happened on April the first, nineteen ninety-six, do you know what I'm getting at? April the first, nineteen ninety-six. So that would have been WrestleMania. That would have been WrestleMania. Oh, Mankind. Mankind. After many, many weeks of um, vignettes with this strange figure in a boiler room with a squeaky voice and some rats and some steam flying around, we weren't sure what to make of Mankind. He made his debut the night after WrestleMania on Monday Night Raw uh, against Bob Holly, uh, beat him fairly swiftly, and the presentation of the Mankind character was spot on everything about yeah. it it was eerie it was dark you anticipated it when it ha- I mean I didn't know who Cactus Jack or Mick Foley was at this point so I'm not someone that's looking forward to this guy jumping from WCW or ECW I didn't know he was he was brand new to me and I remember you know being a bit spooked by it being a bit creeped out by it and that all worked and if that had been the only thing he did that night having a five minute debut against Bob Holly and going away again it would have been an effective debut it wouldn't have been a top five all time debut um, but it would have been effective but what he did later that night is he attacked the Undertaker and he attacked the Undertaker and left the Undertaker laying and this is an Undertaker who the night before had wrestled Diesel at Wrestlemania 
uh, and you know people yep. may or may not have known that Kevin Nash was going to leave the company around about that time but Diesel was still a top main event star that Undertaker had beaten the night before so Undertaker is at the top of his game and then this guy Mankind left him laying so something that Bret Hart couldn't do something that um, Kevin Nash couldn't do something that Shawn Michaels couldn't do Mankind did and I think it was a v- I, I think it's it's true that we said that we're going to be careful in terms of how we, how we judge the participants going forward, but you certainly would think that, you know, I think if we were doing Undertaker's greatest ever opponents, then Mankind comes into that chat. We did do an under, greatest Undertaker matches outside of Mania and talked extensively about Mick Foley, and so much of it is because of that opening night. And whether or not it was a deliberate homage when Owens came in or not, you know, it certainly fit that sort of pattern. Early on in the show, we set him up. Later in the show, we doubled down. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. And you know what? There's a lot of similarities between the two characters, aren't there? And I'm not being lazy and just looking at them in terms of their body types. I'm talking about their attitudes, their connection with fans, their ability to be both heels and faces, to be beloved, you know, genuinely beloved and genuinely you know, there's a real sense of empathy um with both, you know, performers, you know, Kevin Steen and Mick Foley, the performers. You really get a sense they're very decent people but also they're very good at making you dislike them when they want to um, but equally they can switch that around in a heartbeat two excellent performers um, they're, they're, you know, they sacrifice a lot you know, they're not the typical bodybuilders they're not going to be the ones that get shortcuts the shortcuts to the top so they've been made to work for everything so you, again there's a degree of you know, um, sort of representation that fans can have with the guys because they're not you know, bodybuilders they're like supermen um, I think there's a there's an awful lot of comparisons between the two um, in terms of in terms of style, career, personality, and everything. So I think it's a good good double shot start of the show with that one. It is, and I think I'm going to go early with the uh, with the football reference. But um, there are certain footballers that are beloved because they're simply unbelievably good players. But there are others that are beloved by the fans of their particular team for being good players, but also for working so bloody hard and just being someone that the fans know gives an honest. You know, solid performance every week, and you know that I'm not saying that neither Mick Foley or Kevin Owens are great wrestlers or great figures. They absolutely are, but you feel that one of the reasons the fans love them is not because of their performances, but because of, you know, they feel like they feel like one of us, don't they? They feel like yes, you know, they had we had that dedication or attitude that perhaps we could have done it. Obviously, they've got the the physical ability that we wouldn't have, but you know that they've they've dedicated themselves to it, and they're obviously fans, and they they have the appreciation that they. You know, Mick Foley still, you can tell when he tweets about wrestling, still loves the game. Um, you know, still loves the, you know, the what he what he did and what he does. He's still as much of a fan at, you know, 50 whatever years as he was when he was, you know, 12. And it's, I think you get the feeling that Owens would be uh, would be similar. That's that sort of connection. Uh, but yeah, both both of those debuts I think very solid. I think we'll we'll put them into our, what we call our medium list because we've got a long list that we start with. Then we have a medium list which we uh, put through, and then we uh, choose our short list of five. So I think. Uh, with your permission, um, we'll definitely put Mankind uh, and Kevin Owens onto that next uh, next level. Um, you you got you said early on about uh, about Goldberg um, being an example yes. of one that wouldn't make it. I have got Goldberg on my list, and I will happily delete him. Um, is there any? Have you got any more of those that are ones that you go naturally? You'd say, well, people are bound to say this, or maybe you think I would say this. But as far as you're concerned, they're, um, they're a star, they're big, they're important, and what they did on the first night was okay, but it's not all-time top five, blow your mind. 
think there's a lot you could say that about. You know, you look at all the top stars you think of, really, and um, you know, CM Punk, um, very anticipated debut, but he was, um, what was he against? Just Incredible on ECW TV. He basically had the first point. You know, we just talked about the Kevin Owens, um, CJ Parker, and the Mankind against Bob Holly matches. He had those, but he didn't have a follow-up. Um, so it was okay. The Rock at Madison Square Garden, um, was okay. I don't think it really, you know, I don't think it really cemented his career. I think it introduced him, and I think that's, you know, that's all it did really. Uh, again, you know, use an example like Steve Austin, uh, memorable WWE debut, but you know, only memorable because we know it's now become he's become one of the biggest stars of all time. What he did on that opening night, a guest on the Brother Love Show and introduces the Ringmaster was passable. Um, so I think there's a few. What I will say is that when I mention Goldberg as an, as an example in WCW, I would, however, have him in consideration for his WWE debut. Okay. Do you know what? When you early when you said earlier on, I assumed you meant his w, uh, WWE debut. So okay, that's interesting that it's the other way around. So I thought you meant that in his WWE debut, he showed up, did a bit, and then went away again. That's what I was actually talking about, not his WCW. Yeah. Interesting. No, I I thought I thought his WWE he was incredibly effective. So again, night after WrestleMania, there's obviously a pattern there. They obviously worked very hard um, to make those debuts very effective. But you know, a hugely anticipated star, arguably the biggest star in WCW, certainly the biggest homegrown star. He'd never been with WWE. This is what um, two years now after WCW had folded. So he'd been you know been out of wrestling for two years. Um, and then he makes his makes his big WWE debut by marching into Raw the night after The Rock has retired Stone Cold Steve Austin um, and takes him out with the crowd absolutely going bananas. It was simple, extremely simple, but effective. But I suppose that's Goldberg's career in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Remind never me, anything particularly fancy about it. Remind me how um, anticipated or trailed it was. I, I, I don't particularly remember. Was it one of those that was supposed to be a surprise but everyone had already found out it was going to happen no it was trailed it was oh, okay. trailed I believe I'm, I may be wrong and it may have been trailed before but it certainly trailed at Wrestlemania um, that may or may not have been the first time they, they gave us the information about it but it was definitely trailed that important and certainly hyped up throughout the night where he was where on Raw he was going to debut was not given away Okay. It wasn't a given that he was going to come straight out with a rock, but obviously it was the most. Because for example, rocks. for example, you know, fast forwarding some, you know, seven, eight, nine years, however long it was, maybe a little bit more, um, when Brock Lesnar came back for the second time. So this is not eligible for this list, but when Brock Lesnar came back the second time and took out Cena, that was a quote-unquote surprise return. But the entire world yeah. knew that Brock Lesnar was at WrestleMania that weekend and knew he was coming out on Raw. So sometimes it's not the fault of the company, but it is already it has already got out. And what I'm kind of getting at is that I would say that sometimes the element of surprise helps us with our, um, you know, how we want to review the debut. But actually, perhaps it sometimes clouds the judgment in terms of how we remember it. And secondly, if you flip it round, you might say that the um, what someone actually did was kind of cool but because you knew it was coming and had already built it in your head then that maybe does it down a bit so what I, if you see what I'm saying I think it's quite hard to quantify yeah. some of these these debuts because of you know because of either expecting it or not expecting it clouding our judgement I, I can totally see what you're saying um, I think I think WWE get it right in that sense more often than they get it wrong I think they've got 
genuinely a strong sense of when to advertise someone and when to not. Obviously, there are examples where they've got it wrong, where you'd rather not know. Um, but I think in this particular instance, I think having Goldberg announced beforehand built that anticipation. Um, I suppose I don't want to get too deep into it, but you know, you look at Goldberg's entrance, and Goldberg's entrance is not like the glass popping, is it? Not like the glass breaking, should I say, like that instant, wow, he's here, like Stone Cold Steve Austin got. Goldberg starts with the knock on the door. It starts very slow and very deliberate, and nobody pops wild for that for that knock on the door. And this, the video package is trailing it with a knock on the door. When he actually appeared on Raw, that was him coming out, you know, metaphorically into the into the fire and snorting smoke. So I think the the style of which they did it fit really well with Goldberg's character. Goldberg would tell you he's coming. Goldberg's in Caveton. Goldberg is a big strong ball. He's afraid of no one, and he does not need the element of surprise. So he would tell you he's coming, and he'd want you to fear him, and he'd want you to anticipate his arrival. Be if you were his potential rival, be fearful of his arrival. So I think it absolutely fit the Goldberg character and, and the feel for that um, for that character by having him announced beforehand. I, I liked it a lot. Okay, um, I think ultimately I find it hard to disagree with anything you're saying. I feel like ultimately uh, I like it but don't love it uh, and I, th- I feel that I'm happy for it to go to the next stage I'm confident we'll find five better it's kind of oh it's not making the five it's kind of that's my that's my stance on that um, I do have a couple I'd like to touch on which I think are examples of um, the surprise element sort of clouding people's judgement um, because the, the surprise moment when they returned was big but the execution of the debut uh, was poor um, and again, we've okay. talked about not necessarily judging how they are going forward, but sometimes I think you are able, especially with the bad debuts, not bad, but not as good as they could be debuts, I think you can judge the fact that they weren't given a good chance out of the gate, and I think you can judge the debut on that. And one of those, I believe, um, is the debut of the man at the time they called Paul White, and quite soon after they called The Big Show. Um, because yes. by debuting out of nowhere through a ring and interfering in a main event between Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and Vince McMahon you could argue how could you possibly have a better debut out of the blue with impact and doing that but ultimately he bodged what he was supposed to do and I don't I don't mean in terms of the uh, the actual execution but I mean the kayfabe terms the character bodged what he was supposed to do because he actually gave the result to the wrong man and quite you know from the out, outset there was a bit of Dis, um, dissension. You weren't really know. I don't think you were supposed to know what to think of him, and it set forward in motion, you know, a WWE career which had been started by a WW, WCW career of never really knowing what side he was on. You know, there is not a man that's had more face and heel turns in his career. I wouldn't have imagined, all of which with diminishing returns, than the Big Show. And I just think it's a really. I think it's an example of a, of a quite a poor debut. Do you really? That's interesting. I thought it was a very memorable debut. Oh, I remember it was memorable. Excellent. It's memorable, but without a shadow of a doubt. But I just don't think it's very good. I, I think if you were going to bring in a character like that, I think he ultimately should have, you know, Austin should have lost. He should. He, he didn't do his. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was made to look like a chump by throwing him into the into the uh, into the the cage and it breaking, going that way. And then quite quickly, Vince is having a go at him and emasculating him. I just, I think it doesn't. I just think it makes him look like a bumbling idiot on his first night. And when you've got a seven That's foot, a fair point. when you've got a seven foot monster, you bring them in and you make them look like a killer for two years before you make them look like a fool. Not twenty, not twelve minutes. 
Did he? Did Vince berate him on the night? Did he not? That's my memory. Perhaps I'm conflating two things. But my memory is that I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think he would just because remember the, the McMahon character wasn't bothered about having the title anyway. Um, he just wanted to screw over Austin at every turn, and even having him in the main event at WrestleMania, you know, it's an inconvenience maybe, but it wasn't fatal. I totally get what you're saying, and that in in terms of logic, the mission wasn't accomplished um, on the debut. But I think he was made to look very strong and powerful. And I always go back to things like this about how it made me feel. Um, and to me, it made me feel very, very excited. Because um, this one, one was where a surprise, where it was a surprise. I don't think there was any anticipation of him debuting that night. Um, and I think it was a, a wonderfully memorable and, and well-executed finish. More satisfying, in a way, than if Austin had defeated McMahon um, straight up. Because then, you know, that puts a real sort of... Uh, not, not an end to the feud as such, but a real sort of rubber stamp on the fact that Austin is superior. He's got, he's got his own back on, on Vince. Whereas they wanted to save that until WrestleMania when he took it out on Vince's avatar, I guess, the rock. Um, this night accomplished, accomplished making, putting another roadblock into Austin's way whilst also getting into WrestleMania. So I thought it was, I thought it was very cool, actually. Okay, uh, I, I disagree. I think I think if you've got a big guy like that, there's so many better ways that you can uh, you can debut him. And I think that's, I think if you gave me a list of 20 different ideas and said pick one of those that's a good idea, I don't think that would be in the top 15 of the good ideas. You know, I think, it's, I think <laughs> when you enough. can come, when you can come up with better ways of introducing someone, I think that's uh, uh, that has to cover it. Um, there's one other one um, that I feel is in a similar sort of bracket, um, which is without a shadow of a doubt memorable. But I think there's so many things you could have done that were, that were better. Uh, and I'll read a couple of emails out. Uh, well, not emails, but uh, a reference. You know, we, we, we put this on social media and asked for your opinions. And these are a few of the opinions that came back. Um, and in fact, there's one. There's a couple of short mentions for it, but there's one longer post. Uh, Nick Roadley says, When Eric Bischoff strolled out onto the Raw stage and embraced Vince McMahon, it felt like hell had frozen over. It felt seismic, the kind of thing that only three or four years earlier you wouldn't have dreamed was possible. I'll never forget how Jerry Lawler was talking that night about how during the Monday Night War, McMahon would actually wish death on Bischoff, and yet here they were hugging. And then he goes on to talk about something else. Um, I think without a shadow of a doubt, it's it's huge, it's a talking point, it's memorable, it's a big moment in wrestling history. But I think it was done terribly. Not just the, the hug between the two, which you know essentially flushed away money from the outset. You know, One of the points about Bischoff was that he was anti-establishment within his own company twice anti-establishment in real life being different you know not being that the they they hired him because they thought he was a corporate guy but actually he turned yeah. out to be you know a bike you know bike riding leather jacket wearing executive not a corporate suit and then in storyline he turned out to be behind the company that had come in to usurp WCW and then in you know then in the wrestling industry he was the guy trying to usurp Vince McMahon so everything about Bischoff was that he was a rebel, that he was different, he was anti-establishment, he wanted to be that guy. And then when Vince hugs him on his first night, it just kills it, stone dead. Everything is down the drain. Imagine if Eric had been behind, for example, the invasion a couple of years before. Imagine if the first time you'd seen him had been 20 years later and he was behind bloody retribution. Whatever it is, if Eric had been debuting on something insidious, 
trying to weasel his way in, which actually is kind of how they did it with Heyman in some ways. Yeah. In, and because he, he came in as a commentator, but he was still an ECW guy. And then he was part of the yeah. invasion. And then when he came back again, he was Brock Lesnar's guy. Is that they always, always seem to have Heyman coming in and being a bit of a weasel. Um, and I don't mean that in a Bobby Heenan sense. You know, but, you know, in terms of Bischoff, they just had him come in and be lovely. And even if you weren't going to do that, and I know why they did it, because it was to trail something and get you watching after the break. But even then, the oh, first yeah. time we saw him was a backstage thing where he walks in and Booker T says, tell me I didn't just see that. Which, by the way, is a comedy line. It's not a money line. It's not rocks, you know, you know, shut your mouth or, you know, it doesn't matter what you think or, you know, any one of those catchphrases. Tell me I didn't just see that is a comedy line. And so the very first thing you saw about, uh, about Bischoff was a comedy line. And then the second was him hugging Vince McMahon. He actually goes on to cut a pretty good promo. And then he goes on to be a very, very good heel commissioner for four years, five years or whatever it was. I'm a big fan of Eric Bischoff, the performer. But I think it's a terrible, terrible debut. Although it is, it's not his fault. But, it, you know, but it's, a, it's memorable for sure. But I don't think it's good in any way. Yeah, man, it's funny. Like, I'm really glad you brought up all those points. Because when we first started talking about this, this was one of the first ones I thought of in very, very glowing terms. But then when I look back and think about how it was back then, you're, you're absolutely right. It was, you know, I remember being hugely excited in, on one hand that Eric Bischoff was in WWE, but hugely disappointed. Like you say, that they were they were hugging it out on the stage. Although looking back, like that's one of these debuts where if you, I think if you look back at it now, it's way better than watching it um, at the time. But I think you can only judge it by watching it at the time because that's what really counts, isn't it? That's what really makes the money. And um, I think I think looking back on now, it's a wonderfully fun and exciting moment. But at the time, it was like, what on earth are they doing? And you're so right with that Booker T trail. It was, it just killed it, dead. Imagine you know, if they did what they did with the Vince McMahon hug. Yeah, it still wouldn't have been great. But imagine the first inkling you get that Eric Bischoff's part of WWE is when Vince McMahon comes out and says. We've got a new general manager of Raw. You're going to be thinking Shane McMahon, Mick Foley. You know, there's going to be a number of names that are going to be there. All pretty dull, really, in the time period. And then he says, Eric Bischoff. You would have fallen out of your chair. Um, but as it is, the impact of that was completely lost. Well, obviously what they were looking for at the time, it's short-term thinking. And Bruce Pritchard has tried to explain this lots of times on his podcast. And it's, it does seem churlish of me to be disagreeing with him given the, his position and my position but I think everything that they looked for was was short term they literally looked to try and have 100,000 more people on one quarter hour than the next quarter hour and you yes. know, what, was that was that achieved? probably probably there probably was enough people that called their mates or texted their mates or did whatever and said have you seen who's on? Eric Bischoff's on Raw. You've got to tune in. And people probably did. However, I yes. think if Booker T had have looked at someone and gone, that is the new GM? That guy? And then they go, we'll find out who it is after the break. I think you still get a lot of people going, texting their mates saying, they're going to say who the new GM is after the break. And then, yeah. when you actually follow through on one, when the GM actually turns out not to be, oh, it's Teddy Long again, oh it's Tiffany on ECW or whatever when it actually turns out God. to be not a McMahon not a whoever it turns out to be Eric Bischoff 
first and foremost, it's a great moment, and there's a little bit of more trust in the brand. And secondly, the next time you do an, an announcement like that, people will go, well, last time it was Eric Bischoff. I have to tune in for this. And even if that's a letdown, you've got your audience. You know, you've, yeah. got, your, you've got your numbers. So I thought it was a hugely short-sighted thing to do. I don't deny that they would have got 0.1 more of a rating in that quarter hour with what they did than if they hadn't have done it. But I think longer down the line, you know, it's like, do you keep a customer happy by serving them their meal on time today? Or do you actually, if you, cause if you but if you get the meal wrong in the first place, are you better off apologising for it being late and then giving them something even better than you are serving them bang on time but with something that's only ordinary? Do you know what I mean? Because they'll come, they'll, they'll remember short term that they had bad service or it was late, but down the line they'll go remember when we went to that, went to that restaurant brilliant, brilliant wasn't it they won't remember the fact that they had to wait they'll just remember that the meal was fantastic and it's that long term benefit that you'll get from something and um, I just think when it comes to that and I, there, was, there was more than just um, uh, sorry more than just Nick who, who said that on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and there was there was other suggestions for, for Eric but uh, his was the most eloquent um, response and I'm not having a pop at him if that's the way he feels about it then um, and that's cool like I said there were lots of people that say it but I think it's one of those ones that when you start to drill down you know you will see that actually all this all this I'm going to sound like Triple H all this business is about is making money ultimately um, making money or, or doing similar to that and you know and, and drawing eyeballs and I just don't think that it did that and, and I, I think that's its, that, that's its issue it, it was unsuccessful in what it was supposed to do could not agree more, and I and I thank you for saying it so well because it was what I was what I've been turning to this afternoon after initially, probably thinking I was going to argue it strongly into the top five, but no, you're right. Too much of a missed opportunity to um, to be considered. You said something earlier on actually about um, about looking back that it's fun and it's exciting and enjoyable and that kind of thing, and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you on that. It, it, sometimes it is interesting looking at things that are historically significant. Um, you know, just as much as it is to, you know, look at you know how good they are. But I think what often happens is that when we do some of these things, and I'm trying to remember, there was an example from the other week where people were coming up with, um, you know, suggestions and examples, and I was thinking, well, this is the opposite of what we're talking about. And even in today, someone is there, Kevin Hogarth, has said, oh, the Shockmaster could finally win a poll here. Now, I, I genuinely don't know if he's joking or not. Because obviously the Shockmaster is one of the worst debuts of all time. It wouldn't get in the top 150, let alone the top 10, because it was it was supposed to achieve something and it failed to achieve it. Now it's achieved notoriety yeah. and it's fun and it's and, and I'm not saying it's not enjoyable. If you were to say go back and watch you know the, the 10 most enjoyable debuts ever, you probably would put the Shockmaster in there because it's a talking point. It's fun to talk about. Fred Ottman's over it. You know it's not like it's hurting him anymore. But it's not good. It's not. It's not what it's supposed to do. And it's like it's like no. la it's like laughing at a stand-up comedian because they fell over on the stage rather than telling you the best joke of all time. And it's like that's not how it works. Go. And it's like that's the wrong the wrong type of comedy, as it were. So I wouldn't include anything around those kind of things that would be you know gobbledygooker shockmaster, you know, you know OMG what's happening kind of debuts because that is literally the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. So therefore, it, it you know it just cannot be good. Paul, over to you. Your turn to come up with one. Right, okay. Well, I've still got quite a number on my list. So let's go with... Ooh, I should be quick in this. Right, okay. We're going to go with uh, January 2000. So not yes. um, not a million miles away from where I was going. You know exactly what I'm talking about here, don't you? 
Um, the debut of... Actually, no. Oh, okay. No. No, 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 no. I'm going to save that one. I'm talking about the debut of four men. Oh, okay. On Monday night, on Monday night Raw. And those four men are Eddie Guerrero, Perry Satin, Chris Benoit, and Dean Malenko, the Radicals. Okay? So for those that don't know the backstory, WCW were very much in the throes of their, of their death rattle. It was, uh, I wouldn't say it was the beginning and the end because it had been coming a long time, but they were well into the middle, midlife crisis of the end. Uh, and these guys were beginning to jump ship. And the four of them managed to negotiate their release and came to WWE or WWF as it was at the time en masse, showing up in the most horrendously garish clothes that only wrestlers from that period could possibly get away with. Um, as fans in the front row of Monday Night Raw and on the very first night they aligned themselves with Mick Foley and they took up against uh, DX the heel DX at the time uh, and Triple H specifically um, their first night in the ring was Raw they didn't get in the ring um, they didn't wrestle but they got involved in a big brawl with DX it got physical I think it was the road dog that went into the into the crowd first and instigated a big brawl but the point is the excitement and the energy and the anticipation were just beyond massive for those four. It was unbelievable for wrestling fans to, to see these four talents, these four beloved talents at the time in the ring, or, or sorry, by ringside on Raw and not on Nitro. It really felt like a shifting tide and obviously WWE was hot hot as ever, you know, as hot as it ever was in January 2000, probably was some of the biggest ratings on Raw. So I think it was both hugely memorable, historic, um, and very, very exciting. Okay, it wasn't brilliant. They, they didn't execute it spectacularly on the following weeks, but that first night was exceptional. I was all poised to uh, to deny you this one I was to, to fight back on you and to explain uh, why it didn't work but I think you're right that it wasn't the same night that they had their matches because I think it was a possibly poor way of introducing them because they basically had matches to earn contracts and they all lost um, that was Smackdown but that was Smackdown as you rightly point out um, I actually think that almost the whole of the um, the start of the Radicals storyline including their name uh, it's terrible I think that losing the matches is rubbish I think Triple H um, you know giving them the contracts and them turning on Mick Foley is rubbish I think they were immediately um, defined down as someone that was you know subservient to Triple H and DX I think almost all of the debut is rubbish but I do agree with you about the first night and we are talking about the first night so chapters 2 to 12 or whatever in this book uh, I don't care for whatsoever but chapter one which is essentially our topic here I can't agree, I can't disagree with you um, the buzz was amazing again I seem to remember this being one that was not you know in any way trailed yes okay if you're reading the internet you might know that it's happening that there's um, there's issues going on about their contracts and being released from WCW that's all going on but generally speaking I don't think the major I think now the majority of fans are on the internet and out they're not necessarily reading spoilers every week or subscribing to the Pro Wrestling Torch and the Observer. But I do think most fans are, let's say, smart. You know, I think most What's fans that? would 
um, would know that, for example, if John Moxley, his contract ran out, ran out today at the end of September and he was a free agent again and had been seen at Titan Towers, I think, you know, Raw next week would be full of si- Ambrose signs and Ambrose chants and whatever. They would know. Um, whereas yeah. there, was a, there were pockets of those kind of things. Um, in a couple of examples we'll talk about in you know in front of 20,000 crowds there was an audible chant from 500 people uh, for those people um, because yeah, they yeah, knew yeah. what was happening exactly. but it was by no means the majority and I knew who those four um, I'm not sure I was very 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 familiar with Perry Satin but I certainly knew the other three very well um, and you know to see them show up on Raw you know was amazing um, and you're right the buzz that that was that created and the fact that you know Mick, Mick at that point is you know just coming off the back of losing at the Rumble um, you know we're not, we're not going to get we're not far away from you know him getting to his retirement match but at that point he's still a very beloved figure so for them to have anything to do with him he felt like a real man of the people and um, had been through lots of issues with the establishment which was Triple H and Stephanie McMahon at the time so yeah I mean yeah it's hard it's very hard to disagree with you um it also shows what you can do with not a lot, as in just by having some people sit there, you know, and, and you know, generate the buzz around them, rather than when they actually started doing stuff with them, I don't think it really worked. Um, so sometimes less is more. It was it was what I would go as far as to say, let's be honest, the, the Monday Night War was... Not one at that point, but they were they were picking off the stragglers. Yeah. So it's not like it's still a fierce fierce battle, but it really meant something. Yeah. Remember, they're three, they're three Benoit, one. They're three one up with ten minutes to play, aren't they? When Chris Benoit came in, he was WCW champion. Yeah, he just won the title. Yeah, he just won the title. Technically, the WCW champion was sitting front row at Raw, um, and it indicated that WCW had given up that all the best young talents wanted to be in WWE. Um, it was it, Not only was it hugely entertaining on screen, but it meant more than many, many, well, than more than, more, it meant more than the vast majority of other debuts in terms of its place in history and its place in, in the moment and what it signified then. So I, I think it's a really strong contender myself. I think it's massive. I think the only thing that I would, I would say that I would, would hold me back on it is that I think we're going to have... I think there are basically two main, main criteria for these debuts. One is the excitement generated by it, which is often to do with who the person is. And second, it's to do with what they actually did. Would you agree with that? You could have a nobody. If you had a nobody, yes, I would. If you had a nobody come in, like someone you've literally never heard of, came in and did exactly what Mankind did to Undertaker or did exactly what Kevin Owens did to Sami Zayn, it would mean something. You know, even if you'd never heard of them, you know, it would be, it would mean something. And and if someone you'd, you know, who was a massive, massive star, literally walked onto the stage, looked around, and walked away again, that would mean something, because of who they were. But if you flipped it, someone you've never heard of walking on the stage and walking away is confusing. But the other, the other side is someone that you have heard of doing something great is double-double. So I, I think there are going to be examples of people that are, you know, are so the excitement of seeing them and then what they do, you know, is going to I think possibly get above the radicals. Well, I'm not saying for for example that they did absolutely nothing because I just praised what they did. They didn't do anything. What they actually did that if that had been four people you'd never heard of, 
you'd go, oh, okay. It would be intriguing rather than great. But because of who it was, it elevates it. And now that's not to its detriment, but I'm saying I think we might end up finding enough that are that t t tick both boxes. But I'm absolutely more than happy to push it through because it is a an iconic moment, a great moment, and on night one, done really, really well. Okay, fine. Agreed on that. So why don't then, you mentioned a big name who you know very well coming in and standing on the stage and literally doing nothing. So, or more or less doing nothing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Ronda Rousey. Okay. Okay, well, I've got, I've got two issues about this, but go on. Okay, all right. Well, Ronda Rousey... There's not a huge amount to say, if I'm honest. You know, if, if you know who Ronda Rousey is, you probably know exactly what happened. It was the Royal Rumble, um, ah, the first of the female ah, Royal Rumble. Was it? Y uh, yes, it was, because Ronda Rousey that appeared at WrestleMania 31 was not Ronda Rousey pro wrestler. Same person, same name. No, I wouldn't. I don't think she was a wrestling character. I knew you. I, I, I anticipate you may be saying that. Um, but if you, you know, if you did want to get technical and call it WrestleMania 31, it's a bloody good debut there as well. I, that I see. I agree with that. I, I see, it is. It is good. Yeah. I, I I really enjoyed what she yeah. did on that night. So it, I was I was kind of uh, deliberately playing uh, playing that one. But uh, it, yeah, if no, anything, it was more exciting. But I'm not I'm not counting that because, like I say, that was not Ronda Rousey wrestling personality making her debut. That was Ronda Rousey celebrity appearing and I know I'm sounding pedantic and I know I'm sounding I'm splitting hairs but I think it does make a difference I um, actually think it sounds like no I disagree I think the opposite I think you're being you're kind of straight I think I'm the one that's splitting hairs because I because I, <laughs> I, I think it's the same I think it's the same person I think her debut was with The Rock and Stephanie and Triple H at Wrestlemania I think that's her debut okay well let's stick with the Royal Rumble one um, for, for now and it was just it, she did basically nothing the Royal Rumble finishes Asuka wins um, great match really enjoyable historic moment in itself people loved Asuka winning didn't they do you remember how, how excited people were to see her win yeah, and to win that match and then suddenly um, Joan Jett comes on and bloody Ronda Rousey walks out with the world's biggest leather jacket on um, which made it look quite faintly ridiculous even though it was Rowdy Roddy Piper's jacket which is greatly significant historically still looked a bit daft which came out on stage an instant megastar instant huge excitement instant top star in the entire company um, male or female by just coming out and doing sweet Fanny Adams um, I just thought it was wonderful. Like the excitement in the air. We were there at um, the Grand, weren't we? We were there at the Grand in Clapham that night. Yeah. And the excitement in the air was just something else. And it was different to any other. We'd see, we'd see a couple of really good debuts at our, at our parties. But that one was just insane. Like people thought it was absolutely incredible. So, and she did nothing. She did absolutely nothing. But it made her an enormous star in about 30 seconds. See, I, I, I just first of all, I don't think it's the debut. But secondly, I, I, I mean, I agree with what you said, but I don't think it's anywhere near this list because it's. I, I think you've got to do a bit of both. I, I think you've got to do more than just appear and and point at something, you know, to get to where we're getting to. Like, for example, look at what we've talked about with Owens and with Mankind and even Goldberg, you know, you know, appearing out of nowhere or or trailed, but coming in, being a big name, making an impact 
and doing something and making people feel something. She literally walked and pointed at. By the way, she didn't even point at the sign well. Um, <laughs> Ronda Rousey became an excellent pro wrestler, a legitimate draw. I think the year she had in the company, or however long it was, was a success. Um, but I, I don't agree with a lot of what you've said about how the, de- how the de- debut comes around. And I think it's the it's the Neil Armstrong thing. It's the you know, um, whoever was the first person on the moon would have been a big star and whatever they said you know would have been you know what he said was not particularly poetic and it, and actually he got it wrong he Neil Armstrong botched his moon landing he 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 was supposed to say one small step for a man one giant leap for mankind and he said it wrong so Neil Neil Armstrong's debut was bloody rubbish it was worse than the gobbledygookers um but Neil Armstrong sure. is still the mo- one of the most famous people that has, well, has ever or will ever live and um, because he was the first man on the moon and Ronda Rousey, you know, obviously had earned her way to that position the same way that Neil Armstrong had earned his way onto Apollo 11. You don't get there without hard work and and some recognition of being very good at what you do. But and I'm not by the way, I'm not criticising her debut necessarily and what they had her do. It worked for what they had at the time. But I just think that at the level at which we're talking here, I think other people have done things. Um, you know, that, that figure. It might be that our criteria is different. You know, it might be that I'm I'm more looking for a bit of substance as well as the moment. Uh, you know, because I just don't think being a massive celebrity and then appearing on a stage is quite enough. And I think that's effectively Fair what enough. she did. And I'll I tell you what, if we if we're accepting that's the debut, I'll stick at Royal Rumbles and I'll give you AJ Styles, which is one of the most amazing moments when he came out at number oh, three in that Royal God, Rumble. Yes. Stunningly, stunningly good. Um, it had been rumoured, but it wasn't, you know, confirmed. If he, even if you knew he was coming, you didn't know at what number, you didn't know his music. He comes out, it's tremendous. I think the question is, did AJ Styles do enough in that Royal Rumble, you know, to to emph- to, to like double down and emphasise his debut? And I think the answer is no. I don't think he did enough. And by the way, he didn't think he did enough because I've seen an interview with AJ Styles where he says Vince was basically tempted to not put me on Raw the following night because he didn't think I did enough um, you know and what they did with AJ they made a massive deal with AJ right from there but it took him a couple of months to really get going with him you know it really wasn't it until did. it wasn't until AJ versus Jericho Mania where they really got going with him and it was an unbelievable moment at Royal Rumble absolutely fabulous but I don't think he had a Royal Rumble performance that made you go Jesus Christ, this guy's going to be a megastar. The only people that thought he was going to be a megastar were the people that already knew that he was one of the greatest wrestlers on earth. I don't think his debut did necessarily anything to, you know, to further everything that was going to happen afterwards. It was just a, a mind-blowing moment. I'd go further than that with AJ. I'd say AJ wasn't a star in WWE until after WrestleMania and he took on Roman Reigns. Um, a backlash or payback, whatever it was. That to me, that was the moment when AJ Styles became a star. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. I don't think the Jericho feud was was all that, frankly. Um, and I don't think the WrestleMania match was all that. Christ, I went to WrestleMania and saw Chris Jericho against AJ Styles, and I was whelmed. I I was neither overwhelmed nor underwhelmed. It was just kind of there. And how weird is that? No fair. Um, fair. To think of us, especially now. But no, I, I kind of do agree with you actually. I'm, I'm very, I would probably push harder for it because 
I am strongly biased. That was such a wonderful moment. It was. Um, listen, it was amazing. I think one day we'll do a topic on here and we'll do the greatest surprise in wrestling history, you know, or, or something like that. You know, the, the, you know the, that kind of the in the Slammy Award they'd call it an OMG moment. You know, if we we, we yeah. might do something like that. What's the you know the you know holy shit moment of our lives? And that is way up there. Way, way up there. It's an insane moment. I love that moment. But we are sort of judging on a criteria of how well did they do that night. And I think they did all right. And I think there's a lot of these examples where they did all right. And I think we need to be aiming higher. Fair enough. Well, I won't argue with you too hard on that one. I'm going to strike a line for it in that case. Yeah, I mean... Um, Matt oh, Barber's, Matt Barber's I, I, AJ, AJ debut was special for me walkabout exploded that's a fair point I think there's been a couple of other people said about AJ um, Francis AJ Styles debut at the Royal Rumble was a shock um, who was someone who was great in Impact and New Japan making the debut on the main card and not on NXT that's a fair point the fact that he was a main roster debut rather than an NXT one some people don't have the chance yeah. to make that, that main roster moment because they've come through the NXT system um, so uh, that's a bit different but yeah um well, well I quickly stay with the rumble because I, I, what I thought you were going to say when you said January 2000 I thought you were going to say tag. yes and, and you were right too because what a wonderful moment match debut that was as well that was another example wasn't it where everyone in Madison Square Garden knew it was Taz everybody informed knew it was Taz it was Kurt Angle taking on a mystery opponent for those three of you out there that haven't, aren't familiar with it um, Kurt Angle undefeated since debuting at Survivor Series the following year set to face a mystery opponent at Royal Rumble Madison Square Garden the lights go out the familiar now familiar beat comes on the, on the on the PA system the 13 shows up the white noise hits and Taz comes roaring out into Madison Square Garden to the, the by far the biggest reaction he had and will ever have in yeah. his life um, and it was an incredible moment good match without being sensational um but enough, enough, and certainly the fact that where it was, you know, Taz is a New Yorker, he's in the Northeast, where you know a real ECW hotbed. You know, how many times did he appear just across the road at um, at the ballroom there, and um, in front of what six, seven hundred people, and now he's at the Royal Rumble, Madison Square Garden, making his debut against Kurt Angle. It was awesome, mate. It's it's certainly up there. Um, it's such a shame that they didn't capitalise on Taz as a big star afterwards, but I totally get why they didn't. He isn't a WWE typical WWE superstar, and I think by that point his best days of his motivation were long behind him. Um, and but that night, that was an incredible, incredible debut, and there's not many better. It's one of those moments where I say, uh, you know, pick me a pick me a hole in it. You know, what I, all I've been, I've been nitpicking, yeah. and I'm sure, I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast going, bloody old McNichols hard to satisfy. No, I'm listen, I'm, I'm playing the, the role, I'm playing the devil's advocate when it comes to these, because our, our standards have to be exacting to get into this top five. They have to be five of the greatest things that have ever happened in, you know, decades of, of history. Um, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm doing them down. There's nothing massively wrong with AJ Styles' debut at the Royal Rumble, but, but you know, we need to be hitting 9.7 out of 10 minimum. And, and I think his is maybe an 8.1, you know, that, that, and it's, you know, but, but this is this is in the 90s, you know, in terms of out of 100, this is way up there, and because it's not about what happened to Taz afterwards, it's not about the fact that by the following year's Royal Rumble he got eliminated in about 70 seconds, you know, he just got chucked out unceremoniously quickly, and you know, 
you know, by that point he was, you know, a, a, by far an afterthought. The only other, the only other big thing that he was really involved in for me was when JR smashed a bag of sweets over his head at SummerSlam. Yes. You know, and you know that was a different. But when you're wrestling matches with, you know, God bless Jerry Lawler, but when you're wrestling, you know, mid-card matches with Lawler, you know, and even if that pop was huge, you are not, you know, in the same place that you thought you might have been when you got that debut. And bear in mind, he didn't he didn't come out and beat Hardcore Holly like we were talking about earlier on. He didn't come out and beat CJ Parker like we were talking about earlier on. He beat Kurt Angle. And it's, yeah. like, and it's yeah. like, listen, Kurt Angle was so good that Kurt Angle can, can suffer losses. It's not a problem with for Kurt Angle. And he was that sort of heel cat. At that point, he's not necessarily a, a killer. He, you know, he's a, he, he is portrayed as a good wrestler, but, uh, you know, a very, you know, you know, straightforward, you know, pompous character that needs his comeuppance. And that's what he got. They built quite a good little story out of it. Even just later that night, he said, well, it was a choke, wasn't it? Therefore, I'm not, you know, I'm still undefeated. But you took an undefeated heel and you fed him to Taz. And you said it wasn't a great match, and it probably wasn't, but it was what it was supposed to be, which was basically a one-sided mauling. Um, yeah. And Taz showed off what he could do. It was actually probably the last time he really did it. I never saw too much of that. I mean, these days, Suplex City is Brock Lesnar dropping people on their head with a with a German. In those days, the Suplex machine was Taz, and he came up with this array of Suplexes that he you know would bust out on anybody. And Kurt Angle took them like a trooper. And I know Kurt and Taz have always got on. You know, I remember being backstage at a TNA event some nine years later, nearly ten years later, and the, the pair of them spent a long time together. The two of them are friends, you know, and so they might not have known each other very well at that point, but, you know, Kurt obviously respected Taz's performance and, and vice versa. Um, everything that happened after that night in January 2000, you can you can question, but at that point, if Taz had gone on to be a three-time champion, a Hall of Famer, and one of the biggest draws of all time, you'd go all came from that debut and and you know he was, yeah. he was set yeah. up he was set up perfectly are you happy with him going through to the next stage most certainly am I have one more Royal Rumble one that I want to talk about actually I've got two but there's one one in particular um, that I don't think will make the five and, and by my own you know what I've explained I don't think it would make the five but it's the kind of one that I think people would never think about us saying but I think it needs at least a chat about I think we need to have Go a conversation about 1993 and the debut of John Gonzalez, which is an unbelievably brilliant debut. Um, oh, man, that's a very interesting point. The giant Gonzalez walked out, silenced the crowd, silenced the commentators, beat the shit out of the Undertaker further the storyline with Harvey Whippleman and left he happened to be one of the worst wrestlers that's ever stepped into the squared circle it happened to be one of the low points of Undertaker's career it happened to be one of the worst matches in Wrestlemania history it happened to be the worst outfit anyone has ever worn in their life but it's an unbelievable debut and I was nine years old and scared witless of this guy and he hurt the Undertaker which no one did at that point, not to that level. And you know, it's it's an absolutely mind blowing debut. It's crap afterwards, but it's not bad for what it was. Well, judging on our own criteria, mate, forget everything that came afterwards. Because yes, it was absolute bobbins from uh, from that point on. But you're it was not on my list, mate. But I, 
can't argue. Like, I remember watching that. I was a little bit older. I was 11. I was 10. I was 10. And, oh, my God, it was just mind-blowing that someone had come out. Because he didn't just beat up The Undertaker, did he? He destroyed The Undertaker, who to that point had been basically impervious to pain. Um, it was the first time Undertaker had looked even remotely vulnerable. And the, size, the sheer size of the man, like, obviously, you know, nowadays you need a bit more, but in 1993, when you were catering to, you know, kids who were our age in the main, you didn't, you needed to be the biggest man you'd ever seen in wrestling, coming out and making the Undertaker look like a small child in the middle of a Royal Rumble match, which again had never been done before. Mate, I think that's a really great shout. Like, I, I don't think there's a lot more to say about it, and I don't think it'll make the top five, but I'm, I, I'm certainly circling it rather than putting a cross through it. Cool. Okay. I shall, uh, I shall do that. There's one other thing I want to talk about from a rumble, and it absolutely won't make the list because, really, I think it's um, it, it would it would be an it would be a technicality. But the 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 best nearly debut, that is that the debut was one night, and then the second night was the killer thing. The debut weekend, the debut 48 hours in the WWF of Vader. They talked up Vader really, really well. Mr. Perfect, I remember on commentary, made a huge thing about Vader. Vader came out in the Royal Rumble and he made a splash. He, he beat people up, he looked tough, he faced up with Gorilla Monsoon and he walked out. I just think that what happened the following night when he actually beat up Gorilla and got suspended was so incredible that it overshadows the actual debut and it makes me think that actually well, the, debut, the debut was really cool it wasn't the huge, you know, the huge reaction, the huge, you know, talking point that the Monday night was. At least I think it was the night after. I, I sometimes get these things a bit confused, but I think it was the night. It after. was. Um, it was, and you're right. But but for the, for the purpose, it's not even close, like you say, for this list. Night one was good, and night one introduced the character. Night two made the star. If we were doing um, the best opening week, as opposed to the best opening moment, then I would actually be pushing for Vader, but. Really, realistically, we we can't. But I just I just wanted to include it because I think it's a really interest. It's a really, really, really perfect way of introducing the character. What they did on night one was the right thing to do because it set up yes. night two, which was even better. But it's a little bit like having going back to the restaurant analogy. It's a little bit like having a really nice starter that set up a great main course, and it's like the right it was yeah. the right starter to have, but the starter shouldn't over over you know overshadow the main. Agreed. Uh, I've spoken plenty. Let's have a couple from you. Righto. I'm going to rattle through a few of mine that I don't think are going to make the list. But cool, okay. I just, in fact, there's basically one, two, three, four, actually. And they've all got something in common. Um, none, well, the first thing in common is that none of them are going to make the five or probably even trouble it. But the other thing they've got in common is they are all related to the uh, invasion angle. Okay. So, so basically, the four I've got, I'll rattle them all off at once. Um, Lance Storm, Diamond Dallas Page, Booker T, Tommy Dreamer. Um, they're the four. Um, all had very different debuts during that. So remember, Lance Storm was the um, was the first attack, wasn't he? He came out. He was the first one to jump into a WWE ring. When I think he was it Perry Saturn. He uh, he came in and super kicked on Raw. Um, Not sure. DDP was DDP was obviously the stalker which is another example of being a pretty damn good reveal, but then went completely to shit afterwards. 
Um, you've got Booker T coming out and inter interfering in the triple threat uh, title match Austin Benoit Jericho at King of the Ring um, and it promptly injuring Austin in the process in Aust injuring Austin in the process and then the fourth one and probably my pick of the bunch actually was Tommy Dreamer now originally I wrote down RVD and Tommy Dreamer but then I remembered that RVD had been on Raw um, and had been in WWE previously well um, okay so I you know We've got an issue here. I've just thought of an issue. Go on. Well, the issue is that it's not Tommy Dreamer's debut on Raw, um, because ah, Tommy ah, Dreamer right. was around okay. in the years in the years previous and had appeared around then. But by the way, so had Taz. Yes, exactly. I'm not counting those cameos on Raw, for better or worse. Those cameos where they did the ECW showcases. Um, I'm not counting, but I am counting the weeks that. RVD served as sort of Jerry Lawler's um, henchman on Raw for a few weeks. I think that that counts in WWE canon, whereas the um, whereas the ECW ones almost do not. If that makes sense. Now, I'm aware I'm slightly bending the rules. Uh, yeah, I've got to decide on my own. But if you want, because yeah, exactly. If you want to take out Dream, you have to take out Taz. Yeah, you do, and I think I do. I think I do have to take out Taz. I think it's. Um... <gasps> Really? And I don't want to. Well, Taz was on Raw, and it's like it's the same character, and in, 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 in it's the same, it's the same timeline of the same. Per oh, I do know what we're going to come to an interesting one later on. So okay, let's have a chat about this at the end because I probably want, will want to break my rule <laughs> later on. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Right. To it. Well, let's come back to it. But since you're whizzing through them, you're whizzing through, which suggests that you don't want to put them up for uh, for a chat. But I, I want to stop you, and I want to flip this on his head because I would say a better. Uh, debuted in all of those while we're talking RVD and while we're talking Tommy Dreamer and we're talking someone else I give you the debut of Jerry the King Lawler in ECW <gasps> ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh that is exceptional mate you're on fire tonight mate thank you very much but it's a fireball that, uh, that Jerry showed me how to throw but um, <sighs> Jerry Lawler to the, I am not a big ECW guy some of the ECW knowledge that I have is really gained from documentaries and, and whatever so I might be slightly wrong but I think that they had a, they were supposed to have a match between Taz and Sabu right is this right I think it was um, meant to I'll be, go with it I think it was meant to be Taz versus Sabu and Sabu didn't turn up because Sabu Yes, that's right. Went somewhere else, and I think. Oh, maybe I feel like I might have this wrong now, though. I'm sure something think, was. Meant uh, to I think you might have. I think you might have. I think I might have this confused, but I'm sure something was meant to happen that night. Anyway, there was something that was meant to be happening in ECW, and it didn't happen for whatever reason. The fans were going to be disappointed. I thought it was going to be Taz versus Sabu, and Sabu didn't show up. But the lights went off, and you assumed it was going to be Sabu. And when the lights came on, it was Jerry Lawler. That's what I think is the is the story. I I am. Possibly wrong there, but there is definitely, definitely, definitely an angle in ECW where they were expecting something else, and the last person they expected to show up was Jerry Lawler. This is in the era where ECW were showing up on Raw. They were doing a little bit of cross promotion for, um, I think, for their, their first pay per view, maybe their, uh, uh, certainly an early pay per view of theirs. Um, but no one expected Lawler, and Lawler genuinely didn't like that company. Lawler talking about it being extremely crappy wrestling, and he meant it. Um, so talking about a oh, show. Yeah and it furthered what was meant to be happening this is the thing it's not just the shock of someone being there it's not just the moment of surprise 
but it's at an angle. It's a caning of Dreamer. I know Dreamer was involved in it. Oh, maybe it was Raven. Maybe it was maybe Dreamer and Raven. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was when Raven left. That might, might be more likely. It could have been Dreamer uh, versus be it. it could have been Dreamer versus Raven, and Raven didn't show up or something like that, and then it was Lawler. Because obviously Dreamer was the was the person that got caned in the bollocks and then had to go to hospital and all that. Um, so I mean, I just I, again, I'm I'm a bit short of saying, you know, it's going to be the uh, you know a top five contender, but it's a it's a it's a it's a quality left field court, I think. I think that's a great shout because the heat, the absolute molten heat he got was almost unparalleled, wasn't it? Um, I think that's, I think that, mate, I've circled it. It is, it is on the list. Okay, uh, you were Definitely. you were in the midst of uh, of whizzing through a few, so I'll uh, I'll let you continue. Yeah, we'll we'll get well. I got rid of all those. You're right. I'm not seriously advocating for those invasion ones, but there's another couple. I've I've only got two more before we get into sort of the serious contenders. I think. Well, three more. One with a bit more oomph behind it, but two that I'll say first. So first one, Carlito. A bit randomly. Um, and literally, as I say, I lose all, all my conviction in saying it. Um, but it was very interesting that you got a guy come up from the development system and beat John Cena for a title belt on his first time out on SmackDown. Um, and literally, as I'm saying it, I'm completely running out of puff. I've got nothing more to it than that. <laughs> so it sounded better. I'll be honest, it sounded way better on paper than it did coming out of my mouth. So let's just... Um, Let's just admit when I'm wrong and scrub it, shall we? Um, but the other one, speaking of John Cena, is Cena himself. Well, yeah, um, that's on my list. So, obviously, that one was, what, 2003? 2003? Yeah, it was 2002. It's in, that, it's, in that 2002. Sort of, uh, in that range. It was 2002. And he comes out on SmackDown to answer Kurt Angle's open challenge, and you get the very famous... Or, you know... I feel like it's become more famous in recent years than it had been before with the old ruthless aggression promo um, the slap and then the match and we're off to the races um, and see it's a classic case of him taking a, a big dip down before he became a big star again but what what a sense of faith they showed in him by having him coming out and doing a debut like that and it paid off in the end massive massive and you know they must have they must have thought something of him, mustn't they? Um, uh, you know, you, you just you just don't do that um, if you think that you know this is just some, as Bobby Heenan used to say, some mid-card ham and egger that may or may not have a yeah. future. You do not. We talked about Taz doing the thing with with Kurt Angle. Well, this was even bigger. You know, the Kurt Angle Open Challenge was was a you know a real thing at that time, and to have someone like Cena do it, and again. Just, I don't think anyone knew who Cena was, did they? I don't think it was a... You know, you might have known that he was in the... Uh, uh, well, I followed it. I knew he was. He was a prototype, but I had no real concept of what he was all about. Yeah, you'd have, you might have known his name, but it's the, the same way that you might know... You, you might know the name of someone that's in the Grimsby Youth team. Um, yeah, right. And you, you've heard their name, but you don't know how good they are. And so when they make their debut no. to the first team, you don't know if they're, they're up to anything. You just happen to, oh, I've heard of this guy. He plays for the youth team. You think he's a centre forward. He might be a winger. Like, you don't really know. And it's like, you know, but on the first game of the season, he plays and he scores. And it's like, and, and that's the that's the difference. That's the that's what's basically happened. So, um, yeah, there you go. I like that analogy. Youth team player scoring on his debut. That's, that's kind of what it is, that's, isn't that's, it? That's, that's, that's Wayne Rooney against Arsenal. Yeah, in the same year. In the same year, 
Uh, well, technically his debut, but you know. Well, we're going to technicalities of uh, of Wayne Rooney's debut. <laughs> well, Wayne Rooney's WWF <laughs> debut was uh, was a very weak slap on Wade Barrett. So, um, uh, he, uh, he is, yes, he, he was. He is someone that's uh, that's had a debut. Uh, I've found the specifics. It was uh, WrestlePalooza, 1997. Right. This is of uh, of Lawler. Uh, I am reading from the uh, the great Wikipedia, but I'm fairly certain it will be right. So it was a loser leaves town match between Tommy Dreaver and Raven. So Raven was on his way. Dreamer beat him. Uh, it was his first win over Raven in that whole rivalry. Raven left. The lights went out, and when they came back on, Jerry Lawler was in the ring, and he uh, he insulted ECW and challenged various ECW wrestlers to come and beat RVD and Sabu. So he was with RVD and Sabu, and then various others came in and got caned and. Um, he was, yeah. and, and all that, and so, um, and it actually led to uh, um, to various other things, including including a, quite a cool moment where uh, Cornette debuted there as well. But uh, yeah, so I, I was a little bit worried. I'd, I'd conflated lots of different things, but yeah, I think we basically got there in the end. So it was uh, it was Dreamer beating Raven very quickly, and then afterwards uh, the appearance of Lawler. So that's cleared that up. Anyway, uh, are we back to Cena. Um, cool. I think it's uh, I think it's again it's hard to poke, poke holes in. Um, I think the the only things that do it down slightly are there's no sort of fan. It's only really a famous debut because Cena made it. I don't sort yes, of feel agreed. like I feel like if he had like Taz didn't quite make it to a great height, right? But I sort of feel like you know that was his that was his big moment. Whereas if Cena would have been if Cena had a, had a career like I don't know who might if he had a career like John Heidenreich. Right. Yes. You wouldn't be talking about right. his debut. You're only really talking about Cena's debut because of who Cena ended up becoming, and that's not our criteria. However, I do agree that it's a great debut. I do agree that it's you know it's really well done. He comes out, he stands up, he stands his ground, he does the ruthless aggression thing. You know he has the match, he looks credible. It's a brilliant setup. But what it lacks is the. <gasps> moment it's, it lacks the oh my god it's Taz oh my god it's the Radicals oh my god it's Mick Foley Kevin Owens um, maybe not Mick Foley actually but um, you know Goldberg it lacks that it lacks that oh my goodness it's, it's John Cena um, but well, they, you're right it does but does it's only does it's only knock because the execution well, is terrific let's put it on the list yeah I'm happy with now. it going forward I'm happy with it going forward and another one I want to talk about massively pivots and it's a debut that I feel is fairly you know standalone. I can't really think of any more debuts that went down in this sort of manner and it's because it's all about the match it's all about what went on in the ring um, and I'm going back to uh, an event I should have been at and gave my ticket my, I got a free ticket and gave it away um, Takeover Dallas April 2016 and of course, I'm talking about Shinsuke Nakamura. It's a really, really good shout. I, I'd forgotten that. It's not on my list, um, but it's a great shout. It really is. What you know to come out with huge anticipation in front of a rabid crowd at WrestleMania weekend. First of all, you've got the entrance, which was about as rock star as entrances get in WWE. Instantly, the crowd fell in love with it. Literally, they were chanting along to that song which they'd never heard before, before his entrance finished, which shows how great the choice was, how great the entrance was, and how beloved he was. And then he went on to have an absolutely phenomenal five-star match 
against, you know, probably at that time the guy that was Mr. NXT um, in his last match for the brand. So, and it was one of the best matches you'll ever see in your life. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, I, I would, I would say that the, of all the list, this long list we've got, Shinsuke Nakamura is the only one that is there and should be there purely because of the sheer quality of the match. Yeah, I mean, I'd go a lot on that. Uh, we haven't got many matches in this, have we? You know, no, I, I don't it doesn't know how, happen very often. I don't, you know, seen as is a match, but generally speaking, um, you know, we're not necessarily talking about that. We're, we're talking about someone showing up and you know doing their bit. But this is one. Yeah, this is hyped as someone is going to have a match on their debut. I suppose it's Taz's is a match, but this, yeah, this is. And you're talking about match quality yeah, Taz, as well, yeah. as, well as, as well as turning up and having a match. You're talking about turning up and having an all-time great match. <laughs> There's a, you know, it's not just. You know, I'm, talk, uh, I'm talking about it just being. I'm talking about it just being a match. Like you look at Taz's, it wasn't just because of the match. If you'd have known that Taz was coming in, um, it wouldn't have been half the same. You know, if you'd have known that Cena was going to turn up and hand of that promo before, it wouldn't have been the same. But you knew it was Nakamura. There was no surprise element. There was no storyline element. It was just a match. That's it. But it was nice. No, no, it's not. It's not just a match because it is the entrance as well. Because you just said about the music um, and part of. Well, I'm sorry. I'm including the entrance as part of the match. Okay, well, to me, that's part of the project. Well, it's 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 it's, you know it's theatrics, you know, as well because it's. I remember the very first time I saw Shinsuke Nakamura. I can tell you specific. Well, I can't tell you the date and time, but I can tell you the the event because uh, it was the New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom that was the first one that was on Fight TV. Um, Right. do Do you remember the one that Jeff Jarrett particularly got involved with promoting? I do. Right, okay. yeah. so it's that one. I had interviewed Jeff for the one-sided ring. Um, I, I particularly made a point of watching that. I promised I would watch it, and I did, and I paid for it and watched it through the fight app and, and all that. And um, I, it was it was a great show. I mean, I loved it. I loved it tremendously. Um, but I didn't know Shinsuke. The, only, the Shinsuke Nakamura I knew was uh, was a Celtic attacking midfield player, um, and whose name was spelt by about yes. one, one yeah, letter yeah. different. Um, so I didn't know Shinsuke Nakamura other than he was a big star and I fell in love with him before he reached the ring I think he wrestled AJ Styles that night I'm fairly certain he did um, and the guy before he got to the ring I loved him uh, I think JR and Matt Stryker were on the call that night and so they were quite informative and they knew who the uh, the audience they were focusing on were so they were able to particularly say you know, this is so and so, this is so and so, I'm trying to explain them. And they, I remember them saying that, you know, he's got influences of Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury and, and whatever. And you absolutely can see it in him. And I just, I remember getting, you know, before he reached the ring, I loved him. And I remember saying to anyone that would listen when he was being linked with WWE, um, you know, you're going to love him. He was so, to me, so suited. For, they haven't done nearly enough with him, but, you know, he was so suited to WWE because he's a he's a rock star. He's not just a wrestler. He's a you know he's got that star element about him. And it's like I don't know how yeah. how good his vocal skills are because I don't speak Japanese. But he's the kind of person that I imagine if he was American or British or an Anglophone, he, you know, it wouldn't even matter if he couldn't wrestle. He'd still be a star, you know, because he'd be a, he'd, yes. have, he'd be a, he'd be a manager or he'd be a you know he'd be something because he just looks every instant the superstar. He's got that on the stage thing and, and to be someone like Freddie and I'm a huge Queen fan and it's like there's ne- there, there will never be another Freddie he's the greatest there's no one to touch him um, 
both as a performer and as a singer. But you know what? Adam Lambert does a great job. You know, it's hard for anyone to do mm-hmm. a, Queen, a Queen tribute act and whatever. And Adam Adam Lambert is great. As Fre- he's not, but he's not Freddie. He's not trying to be Freddie. He's not. He's not a rip off. He's being Adam Lambert, and he fits the Queen uh, thing. And it's like, but if you were to ever look at someone, you know, looking to rock rock music is a really good idea in terms of you know uh, how how you can be influenced. And I think that Nakamura obviously looked at that and and saw it and it, a mile off and. I think it's a slight. I think the only slight disappointment about this debut, and it's no one's fault, and it's not anything about the debut. It, I think it's a shame it didn't happen on a bigger audience, because, uh, on a bigger stage, because I think it's the best match that Nakamura's had in the company. Um, I think it's the perfect audience. But I, I wish it had. I wish I mean, it had. I think most of the people that have seen Nakamura on the main roster haven't really seen the best of him. If he'd have had that match on the main roster now it's more the fault of what he did on the roster as opposed to being the fault of the NXT debut but could you imagine if that match had happened at Wrestlemania as opposed to at no Denver? I totally disagree I think it was the perfect setting for it I think that intimate in the, it's like the distilling of the WWE crowd to the absolute diehards to the real sort of you know um, like you had to really really want to be there and and you had and it also gave you that and this is the bit I regret the most. It had that moment. It was that scarcity. You know, there's a hundred thousand people at WrestleMania. Pretty much anyone, if you wanted to and could afford it, you could get into WrestleMania. But that was not the case with NXT. It was a real I was there moment, and it felt like that while I was watching it on the bloody screen. And it damn sure felt like that to everyone who was in the arena. And it was and it was that the fact that it was a WWE show in essence but on such a small stage but in such an important on such an important stage it was really in my eyes takeovers coming out party I think it's still the greatest takeover ever and I think it's the one where it really arrived on the big stage um, largely in part to what these two guys did and I think it was perfectly placed in the situation it was in I think putting on at Wrestlemania would have diluted it um, and I use the example of Jericho Styles. I think if you reverse the roles and you put Jericho Styles on at TakeOver the night before, that match becomes exponentially better. Point well taken. Um, let's, uh, you underline it, I put it in bold, but whichever way, we're, uh, we're moving it forward. Uh, right, a quick, yeah. a quick thread, as you might say, on, on social media. Uh, a thread involving people that have won the title, or a title, on their opening night. It's something that they've done quite a few times with people. Um, I think uh, Gail Kim possibly Carlito Paige oh, I suppose Paige was, came to NXT first um, but there's a whole yeah. bunch of people that have done that kind of thing Santino Morella um, do any of them yeah. do any of them count for you or any of them consideration for you none of them raised the pulse at all for me no no I agree me neither I just thought that uh, there might have been one that I'd forgotten about that uh, uh, that hadn't necessarily um, uh, piqued my interest but might have got to yours uh, right, two people that are inextricably linked from being pals in one company, but they are making debuts uh, in different ones. Firstly, the first ever Monday Nitro. There's Lex. Oh Luger. yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. There's Lex Luger. Um, yeah. What a what a moment. You know, one of one of the oh. most unbelievable moments on this first show ever. A guy that was in the other company. The previous night, I think, just wanders out on Nitro. Uh, yeah, like just absolutely extraordinary. Like one of the most incredible things that's, you know, to a a viewer in 1996 that doesn't understand what's going on with with contracts, 
Um, no, it's not. We, it, it doesn't count as a debut necessarily because Luger's already been in WCW. Um, oh God, but, no, it doesn't, does it? Oh, it no, it's talking about. That. No, no, there's a, no, there's a, re- there's a reason why I'm, I'm talking about it um, because I'm setting it up for something else. Um, but okay. you know, had it been, had it accounted, um, you know, then you'd talk about, uh, you know, the fact that was his promo all that good? Like, I think it would have been better if he'd have wandered out and then wandered back. I think the fact that he actually had more involvement that night, the more the fact that he went to the ring and had that promo with Hogan in which he said I think Lex Luger said something along the lines of I am sick and tired of playing with kids I think he could have thought a bit better about the wording of that um, but uh, we take his point um, I just think I don't think it was very good it's, I think it's another example of one of those things the moment of him walking out in the, in the, in the aisleway is amazing but later on that night the, the, the promo and the kind of pull apart and whatever I think was pretty crap actually um, but what I'm linking, it, I'm linking it to something else what I want to come on to later on. But that, that we will park. But the second one is that um, Luger's big mate uh, is Steve Borden. And one of the most anticipated things for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, and years was when Sting would show up in the WWE. Eventually he did. What did you think of that? I thought it was sensational. Um, looking back, I can't remember the answer to this. Did we know he was signed? We yes. certainly, there was certainly no rumours of him appearing on the Survivor Series, but he would, he'd definitely sign that in. Well, I mean, he'd signed a Legends contract in the sense because he was the face of the video game first. That's um, right, of course it was. I knew there was something. And yeah. I'm not quite sure in what order they happened, but what basically started to happen was people signed a video game deal and then... And turned, then come in Survivor Series. Um, and I don't know exactly the order and I don't know exactly, you know... The, the exact times in which they did it but you know Kurt did it at one point I think that was afterwards but um, you know various different people sort of signed the video game deal first uh, and then appeared on the, I think Goldberg did it that way again when he came back um, so Sting might have been actually the first of those but he certainly the big shock of Sting being involved with the company was being part of the video game and once he'd signed that deal he was clearly going to appear on, on screen at some point, even if he didn't have a match. You're right. He was going to appear at some point. You're right. I absolutely include him appearing for the first time on the show as his debut. The video game is not a debut. But I do think the, the fact that he had been in the video game did ever so slightly water down when we actually saw him. It wasn't... If you can, if you take away the... I think what it was was that you sat there and went, at some point we're going to see Sting. In the same way that even right now, there will be something like... I still think at some point you'll see CM Punk again. Like, mm. it will happen at some point. It might seem to be another five years off. It might be next week. I still think at some point you're going to see CM Punk again. And, it, we, and we, we're going to see The Rock again. You know, we're going to see Triple H again. There's lots of people you, you know you're going to see again. And I don't quite put um, Sting into that full bracket because it, it was a brand new thing. But you knew you were going to see Sting at some point. But it was a very, very, very cool moment when he did appear. And, the, and again, the execution of what he did worked a treat. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I think in terms of all the things we're talking about, this is up there in terms of what they actually did, the substance of that debut was amongst the best. Because it, it was that Survivor Series match, wasn't it, where if the authority lost, they'd lose power. And Dolph Ziggler, of all people, was the sole survivor. Um, but obviously he knew there was going to be some... Well, no, I say obviously, I overuse that word, I know I do, but there was, you knew that there was going to be you know, some form of screw job in the finale, one way or the other. You didn't know who was going to win, um, but nobody, nobody guessed Sting coming out. And when that music hit, you got the crow doing his calling and stuff like that, 
uh, the scorpion appears on the screen. Just a wonderful, just one of these moments. We don't get into often as wrestling yeah. fans anymore, especially as, as adults. But that, it was a real, true, genuine mark out moment, wasn't it? I, I, and then, I, like you say, he comes out. So go on. I feel that there'll be people listening that will be thinking, oh, I, I knew he was going to come back. I knew he was going to come out. But those people will be people that read it online. You know, and I don't even know if it came out online, but I suspect it. Did. I don't think it did. Or I suspect I it probably did because almost I... almost everything did. But that actually doesn't count in this sense. It doesn't count. We're talking about honestly. We're talking about honestly. It being I don't. I think it was completely out of the blue. I am across everything online. I always have been. I'm not one for. I'm not good at not reading show results or not. I'm always across everything. The only thing I actively avoid is betting odds before the matches but everything else I just devour and I don't recall seeing any mention of that whatsoever um, I think it was a complete surprise okay cool I might be wrong no, yeah, somebody might be able to easily prove me wrong um, but as far as I recall it was a complete surprise and just the fact that he went straight to the top taking out Triple H taking out the authority and by the way at the time the authority were pretty damn good heel stable not great but pretty damn good um, and uh, and he came straight at the top and you knew from the first 10 seconds that he was on screen that we were going to get Sting at Triple H at Wrestlemania there was no there was no shadow of doubt that match was set the minute he appeared there um, I thought it was brilliant mate I, thought it was, I think you, you you brought them in together the Luger WCW return um, and the Sting debut um, I think they are apples and oranges. I think the Sting one is so far ahead of Luger that oh, I agree. The I, I, I totally agree. Ha, ha, would you believe it? I've got my TV on with no sound on, and then the uh, an advert's just come on for uh, the new album by Queen and Adam Lambert. I didn't know that was going to come on. I didn't even know there's a new album. Um, yeah, no, I, I brought up the Luger one partly because Sting is a mate of Luger's, partly because I wanted to address the fact that we're not including Luger, and I also want we're going to come on to another WCW one in in, in a short while that I, I think the Luger one deserves to be mentioned before that just to trail it in. But yeah, sure. even, even if the Luger, even if the Luger one counted, I wouldn't be putting it up there because I just I simply don't think no. they did enough on the night to um you know it was the shock of seeing Luger was the thing, but the execution of what they did with him to me was meh, 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 nothing. Yeah, um, agree. Yeah, Sting's is a good one, so. That gets boldened up. Um, uh, Brock Lesnar, first time round. Interesting. I've got him on my list. I've got him on my list. It was hugely impactful. Um, he comes in. He just what? Well, he just basically. It was very simple, wasn't it? He came in in the middle of a hardcore match on Raw the day after WrestleMania 18. Was it 18? It was. Better been about there. It was, it was 18. I've just convinced myself. I just reminded myself. Um, and he took out Spike Dudley, he took out Maven, Al Snow, a bunch of those guys. You know, manhandling them with things we'd never seen before. Um, I thought it was wonderful. Absolutely. I thought it was, you know, again, instant star making performance, unique, different. Um, some people had heard of Lesnar, some people hadn't. But I thought it was such an effective debut. That guy is another example of a guy that was clearly a megastar from day one uh, and he was totally unknown you know like in reality like in the wider audience he was just a guy that you know, could have been there's all these stories about how agents backstage were trying to package him as a viking and things like that and, um, he was just immense he came and he was brute strength brute power fresh unique yeah I think he's. I think it was phenomenal mate 
Maybe not top five quality. Is there an argument to say that? I mean, listen, I don't disagree with any of what you said. It was really well done. You can't do it any better. This massive brute of a man, I, I think, with Heyman, shows up as a free agent, the next big thing, obliterates everyone, leaves. Like it's hard to it's hard to knock that, right? But how many other people have done the same thing? And the only reason that we're not talking about them is because they never really made it. Now, I, I'm not saying that these people did it, but is that how they debuted Mike Knox, for example? Is it how they debuted the great no. Carly? You know, I, I, I bet there have been other people that have, that are six foot six, six foot seven bigger, turned up, beat the shit out of a whole bunch of people, and then left. You know, you could argue that it's not massively dissimilar to Goldberg in WCW. I know that was a proper match. You know, but he did beat someone that was an established star in Hugh Morris. And then I think the best bit of the Goldberg debut in WCW is the fact that Mean Gene tries to interview him. He looks at him and walks away. That's the, that's the best bit of all of it. Now you could argue that you know there's lots of other people that have done what Lesnar did. The only reason we're not talking about them is because they never made it big. And so you know, is it actually the debut or is it what continued to happen over and over and over again? No, I disagree. I think the reason we're not talking about them, we're talking about Lesnar, is his pure physical charisma and the fact that the man is a star. And well, star doesn't really do him justice, does he? He's a mega star, and I think that was apparent from the very first night he was in the company. So no, I think I think if you'd have put any other person in that debut, even if it had gone on to be successful, it wouldn't have been as memorable. It's memorable because it's Lesnar and because of how he did it. Undertaker. Survivor ah, Series yes. well, 1990 The mystery part This is a really interesting one It's a really interesting one isn't it Because it is so difficult To um, to talk about this match Without being burdened by the mythology Of 30 years Of what Undertaker became um, And for, our, for, the, for the purposes of our conversation We have to um, We have to Discount all of that um, it was, a, you know, in hindsight, it was a massive historical moment. But in on the night, it arguably played second fiddle to the gobbledygooker. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm being a bit facetious on that one, obviously trying to make a point. But what I'm saying is, it was very good, and it was a really great way to debut a character. But it wasn't amazing. It was a brand new character that came in. It was like, do you know what line? That line from The Office springs to mind when David Brent, I can't remember the context, um, but he sits there and goes, yeah, yeah, what else you got? And it was basically that for me. Like It was a really good introduction to the character, but he didn't blow me away. And I'm just, it was like, yeah, I'd like to see more of this guy. Job done, right, let's move on to the next match. On its own, it was good, but it wasn't all-time great. I seem to recall, and I can't remember the fact that I can't remember this specifically. I don't know if that says more about my brain or the actual thing itself. But um, am I right in saying that he he beats one, maybe two people, then gets disqualified? He tombstones Coco Beware for a very quick pin, just simply so he's got an opportunity to show off his his move that somehow Roddy Piper knew the name of, um, and then that was it. He got disqual. He got. Um, yeah, he got disqualified for was it choking out Dusty Rose maybe? But yeah, that was it. See, there you are. See, I think that if listen, it's a good debut. It's a meaningful debut of one of the greatest characters in the history of the professional wrestling industry. But I think to be up in this category, I think it would have needed to have been 
his two or maybe all three partners got eliminated and then he was one on four and then he beat them all you know, do you know what I mean I think he would have needed to have been that sort of mm, oh I my do. god that's never happened this guy's going to be the biggest star of all time whereas actually as a lot of people will say at the time it just looked like a big a big gimmick it just looked like a big big guy could he no one knew that Undertaker could work at that point no one knew that he, was, he wasn't yeah. supposed to work he was supposed to be a big stiff you know lummox so that could have been any one of 20 people in that role at that time on, on that night that could have been Sid Udi you know, it could have been Danny Spivey. It could have been all sorts of people in that role on that night playing that character. It could have been Brian Lee, who ended up. It could have been Glenn Jacobs. Do you know what I mean? It actually didn't really matter. Um, it's it's really the history of what went happened afterwards. I agree with you. I think it, I mean it's good. We're not I'm not knocking it, and it's the first point on a on a, an amazing graph. But I don't think it's a. I don't think it's an all-time debut. I don't think it's a. I don't, I don't think you know you. The one to like it to is The Rock, isn't it? Six years later at Madison Square Garden, and I don't think it's as yeah. good as that. You, I, yeah, think, that's I think true, The Rock was better. I agree. That's a good point. You know, he might have got shit on by the Madison Square Garden crowd, but you're right. Rock was had more shine, did more in that match. The commentators went mad about him. Sonny had dollar signs in her eyes. Vince was talking about how great he was, or Jr. was, whoever yep. the commentator was. Yeah, I agree. I think Rock's is better, and we're not even gone near that, have we? We, we, we that was an afterthought for us. Um, just yep, a couple exactly. of mentions on the uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, Anthony Lander was someone that said, "Got to be old school taker, surely." Well, no, I'm afraid we didn't uh, we didn't go near that one. And just um, something I don't remember, but I, I want to use this to bring it on to the next thing was that um, Josh Chapman says the uh, the undisputed era attacking Drew McIntyre is something that hasn't been mentioned. It sticks very much in my mind. Brooklyn blew the Barclays roof off that night. Um, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain that. Well, no, I'm not certain about anything. I don't particularly remember that exact moment. So talk me through that and whether or not it qualifies, because I don't, re- I don't remember that. I think it's a good shout without being a, without being a great shout. So, um, so is it a takeover? And you had, um, oh, right. Let me just refresh my memory. So yeah, you earlier in the card, you had um, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish make their um, debuts. Um, on take uh, to the, the NXT debuts, and then at the end of the night, as the, as they said, Adam Cole comes out to attack Drew McIntyre after he defends the uh, the NXT title, um, and then Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish beat join him in the beatdown. So undisputed era is formed on night one, and I thought it was very cool. But um, I can't think you had to be a fan of the guys already to get the most out of it. I thought it was I thought it was very good, but. Um, kind of meant you, you kind of had to be invested in, in the guys from Ring of Honor and New Japan and whatever else um, to, to really truly to, to resonate so I don't I, I wouldn't include it I haven't got it on my list but it's, it's an interesting chat one of the reasons I brought it up was partly because I now remember it I, know, I remember the specifics now um, but one of the reasons I brought it up was would you include the formation of a group as a debut um, because there's 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 two there's two that stand out here and I'm not sure if they qualify. The first is the shield. Does the shield, does, does the shield count? One hundred percent shield qualifies. Because all three of those had wrestled in NXT. Yeah, but NXT wasn't really uh, again. We're not, it's we're not of, including uh, we're not including Kevin Owens because he'd been in NXT. No, 
Sorry, correction. We're including Kevin Owens' NXT debut, but we wouldn't include his debut when he stepped up to, to face Cena. There's others that have made their NXT, like for example, Sami Zayn's debut, for example, on the main roster against John Cena is one we could go into, but we're not going to because he's already been in NXT. These three guys have been in NXT, but as individuals, this is a different. This is a unit making a debut. Does that change things? So, um, just to be pedantic and to sort of not break my own rules but bend them slightly, I think NXT, despite its name remaining the same, changed massively in or before the, um, the TakeOver era. I think before the TakeOver era, NXT would equate to a pure out-and-out development territory. You know, it's still in the, um, the performance center and whatnot for the most part. I think if you... If you counted pre-takeover NXT, you'd also have to count OVW, which would mean you take out Cena, Lesnar, Orton, Batista, if you were to use those, all those guys, anyone who went through development at all. Um, I think there's a very clear distinction. Okay. I don't think there is, but I, but I do. I, but I, I would be happy to say that a group forming is different from... The, 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 in fact, in fact that is, you could you could argue that it's the day de- it's the debut of Roman Reigns, could you not? Because wasn't he Lee Key? In well, you could. Um, he was indeed. So I, I don't I, know if he'd be. I don't know if he had changed his name to Roman Reigns prior to him coming in. I honestly don't know the answer to that. But but I think um, the characters are different. I think but, the characters of Dean Ambrose. I was is, I think it's a different Dean Ambrose specifically. Exactly. I think it's a, I think it's the Shield are different. I think they are different enough. They might have the same name. It's not name, a continuation. But it's not. It's not the continuation. It's a change of character. Uh, and so, in a similar... I think it's similar. Although the names might be the same, I think this would be similar to saying that Husky Harris and Bray Wyatt are different. Uh, oh, know, unquestionably. Bray Wyatt's debut is not knocked off because he used to be um, Husky Harris. And I would say this is close enough that the shield is a different entity to you know John Moxley Tyler Black and Leakey for example even though they might have changed their names already I mean Seth Rollins would have been an NXT champion for God's sake but um, I still think it's different enough so I, I would be happy including the shield and then once we once we happy to include them you know you know what a, what a massive impact they made on that night oh instant we go back to to previous um mentions that it was a star making performance you know everything came together the the action the charisma the, the forms of the guys the stage it was on the surprise factor so it was the triple threat wasn't it punk cena ryback at survivor series for the title and it was in the midst of punk's record-breaking title run yeah and he was and always he was, the case he was basically in the midst of finding he was he was a heel and he was basically finding any way possible to retain his exactly title at that point. How much fun was that, by the way? That period where Punk was eking out... He was basically trying to be the, the straight-edge Ric Flair, wasn't he? Like, trying to eke out wins against all the odds. And it was a wonderful, wonderful bit of long-term storytelling, that. But, um, yeah, I thought... Like, there's, there's, like, again, you used it earlier quite quite well. What? Where's the holes to pick in this? There are none. It was phenomenal, and straight away, they caught everyone's attention... And not that we count it as a criteria, but my God, did they back it up? Mm-hmm. They sure did, and it gave them a platform to do it. Um, the thing I would say, and one of the reasons I was pushing to make sure that the shield would count, because if the shield counts and is worthy of discussion, then the nexus is even better. 
Yes. Oh God, yes. Yes, you're right. You know. Um, fuck. Yeah. Now they have undisputedly, as individuals, all been on that television program. Well, not raw necessarily, but they had all been on WWE television. NXT was a WWE show. I was at a live SmackDown taping that they had a, a, a taping of. Um, uh, NXT, so they had been inside a WWE ring on WWE programming as individuals, but as a unit they had not. And so I think it's okay to say that the debut of the Nexus counts as a debut because it's the debut of the Nexus. It's not the debut of Wade Barrett. It's not the debut of Michael Tarver. It's the debut of the Nexus as an entity. And I think it's one of the greatest endings of a show that I've ever seen. Um, as I recall, I don't remember specifically what show it was. I think it was a three-hour Raw special. Um, I don't think it was an ordinary raw. I think it was an anniversary raw, or it was a one thousand. It was a it was a gimmick. It was a gimmick. It was what it was something like uh, raw, raw roulette. roulette, or it was a it was a people's choice raw, or something, something like, something like that. that. And it stunk the place out. It was absolutely yes. garbage for about two hours and fifty seven minutes, and then this happened. In fact, was it? In fact, was it? It was a Punk Cena match, wasn't it? That they interfered. It was. I'm sure it was. Punk was, was definitely involved. Oh. And, unbelievable stuff absolutely unbelievable one of the greatest you know one day we might do greatest raw moments on this podcast and I'd be up for this being in the top five of that it was exceptional felt different it was out of nowhere Um, and even little things like the camera shots I remember there being a camera shot of Michael Tarver years before his time with his mask on um, presumably had just been to the supermarket um, and just you know he looked frightening. This this man in the crowd with a mask on looked frightening, and then you suddenly looked around and there was more of them. And then you pieced together, oh my god, this is the NXT guys, because I think that yeah. show had just finished. I think they just basically a couple of weeks earlier, Barrett and well, Barrett won, didn't he? And I, th- I, th- I think That's they right. just I think they just finished it, and then a couple and then they ah, hadn't been around for a couple absolutely. of weeks. And then you suddenly went blimey, they're all here. These guys have all been binned, and now they're back. And and just obviously we know what happened with Daniel Bryan and, and um, Justin Roberts and all that and then you could argue that it faded by the time you got to the big seven on seven and all that but as a debut this was one of those they talk about watercolour watercolour oh we stand around the watercolour looking at Monet Uh, the water cooler it's a water cooler moment Um, and I think it is one of those ones that was a proper I can even imagine you know I was far too old by then but I can imagine being at school and going into school the following day and saying to my mates wow did you see Raw last night that was a proper oh my god did you see that last night and it's that is a, a huge thing when you're talking about moments and debuts, and it was so different. You'd never seen it. You'd seen a, three or four blokes. I mean, the shield is effectively, you know, just three blokes coming in and attacking someone, which we've seen a whole bunch of times. It's still good and it's still effective and it's still worthy of the chat. But my goodness, it's not it's not Nexus for me. I think Nexus is towers above it. Interesting. I you know, instinctively I sh- I. If you just asked me straight out whether we should include Nexus, I would have said no. But unfortunately, um, well, not, not unfortunately, it is what it is. I, you know, we we set the parameters of the Shield, and it's not different enough from the Shield to discount it. So I think it's totally fair. I think if we're discounting NXT as it was when the Shield were in it as an entity, then we're doing the same with um, is it a talent show as well? So I think that's totally fair actually to have them in. Um, and I think you're right. I think it was sensational in every way. Not only one of the greatest debuts ever, but what ever but one of the greatest raw moments as you say um, so yeah definitely definitely on the medium list and what I'd like to do is pivot from one of the greatest raw moments ever to another one of the greatest raw moments ever 
and that would be I'm sure you see where I'm going with this one um, that would be 1999 um, the debut or I believe it was August the debut of Y2J Chris Jericho We've only just gone past one of the most famous. I think, I, think one, in, I think it was September. I think we've only just gone past it. I think it was uh, it was quite recent. Well, no, it was it was, defi- it was definitely uh, before SummerSlam because oh, he uh, appeared on SummerSlam insulting a road dog. Um, but it was one of the most famous Raw moments of all time. One of the most famous wrestling debuts of all time. But was it one of the best? Yes. Yes. It <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. There's no je- there's no jeopardy there. I could have I could have held on for a little bit, but there's no jeopardy. Listen, it's again forget who it is right forget the fact that it happens to be someone that has spent another 21 years being amazing um if that had been someone you'd never heard of if it had been someone you'd knew inside out it didn't really matter what they did that night was absolutely perfect and by the way they didn't debut and come out talk for five minutes and leave they didn't even come out and you know challenge Kurt Angle they interrupted or he interrupted The Rock now, if you ever wanted an indication, you know, because some oh, people have said, you know, to begin with, oh, you know, they, they buried Jericho at the start. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They introduced him in the perfect way, and then they put him back down the card to let him fight for his position and prove, prove himself. But they made him out of the gate because he interrupted The Rock. And he didn't interrupt The Rock and get his ass handed to him. He interrupted The Rock, and then he hanged with him. At the end of the night, The Rock comes out the best. But that's to, that's to show that Jericho's a heel. You still remember what Jericho did. You still remember him doing that. You still remember him reacting to The Rock. The Rock put him in his place that night. But just by his sheer interaction and his bottle of standing there and interrupting the great one. And that, and also the fact that it was a really, really cool build-up as well. That they kept the Millennium Countdown, which didn't make full sense because it was months before the Millennium. But it used the fact that the fact that year 2000 was coming, and the fact that Y2J, you know, people might be a bit young listening to this podcast. Y2K was a thing. Y2K, the year that was a so-called millennium bug, was the genuine thing. People thought planes were going to drop out of the sky because computers were going to stop working. That is true. That happened, folks. You know, that is what people thought. Yeah. And so they played on that with the millennium thing with Jericho, with the Y2J nickname. Just, it's impeccable. It's amazing out the gate, and it's one of the examples that I gave when I said earlier on that it's a massive crowd that some people knew. If you watch that back now, when the, when it goes dark, you can hear a couple of hundred people chanting Jericho. And then when it comes, but but the point yes, is, is yeah. that most people didn't know who that was. Oh no, sorry, they knew who Jericho was, but they didn't know who that was going to be that countdown. Or if they had an inkling, they didn't know for sure. Because the best moment of that entire debut is the moment where the word Jericho comes up on the screen and it and the noise that the crowd make is like again sorry folks I know it's torturous the football analogies but it is it is like someone scoring a penalty you know there's a silence yeah. before the kick and then when it, it nests really itself is, yeah. into the corner the, they don't they don't just go woo pop yeah I love this guy woo it comes up Jericho and people go yes not hooray I'm happy to see him but they go yes I wanted that to happen. The same way that if you were you were watching a horse race and your horse wins, or your or your fourth number comes up when you're watching the lottery draw, yes, you're so happy for it to happen, and the reaction is awesome. It's one of the greatest reactions I've ever heard. And if you did, here's the other point: if you had never ever heard of Chris Jericho, ever, never recognised the name, never watched WCW, before he even turned around, 
you knew he was a star because the crowd cheered the way he did and he had the entrance like he did and he was set up he happened to be brilliant and he's gone on to have a great career but he was set up if, even if he'd have been absolute dog shit for the rest of his life he still would have been to be able to survive for a couple of years because he was so good in that um, initial performance what's more to say there mate it was just great like, like, like the best thing they did was put him up against the rock who knows what he's you know, we will never know what the plans for, were for him initially. Did he disappoint in the first few weeks and get bumped down the card? Or was this always the plan? But the key thing is, like you said, if he'd have come in and interrupted, um, I don't know who was around in 99, Val Venus. Yeah, if he'd have come in and interrupted Val Venus, um, that pegs him on the card and he never touches the greatness. So, you know, it takes him much longer to get back. But because he started with the Rock, they can put him down to a road dog as his first feud. And it doesn't take much to bring him back to the boil again, which is what they did. It didn't turn on. By, by Royal Rumble 2000, he was a face. He was winning the Intercontinental title. And he well, was no, well. he wasn't. No, he was a heel, but he was getting cheered so much. He was, technically speaking, China's the face in that feud. I know Bob Holly's in it as well. But China's the face in that feud. But the crowd just loved Jericho. Uh, no, no, by... But no. that was late '99. By the Royal Rumble, he was a face. No, I disagree with that. He, he was he was being he was being pegged as the heel in that feud against China. But um, uh, either way, the, the point is irrelevant. Anyway, the, the, crowd, the crowd was so whatever. into him. And I think it was just it was just it was just what a moment, what a what a debut, what perfect execution by everyone involved. Um, the anticipation, the moment, the performance—it's so iconic, isn't it? Like you put. A picture of Jericho up with his back to the screen in a silvery, shiny shirt with his um, a before it's time samurai ponytail ahead of his time, <laughs> actually, should I say? Um, and you've got and you've got an iconic image. You know straight away that is what moment you're looking at. Um, just by one wrestler having his back turned to the camera. I would argue. Um, I would argue that haircut never had its time, and that was the point. But I, t- I see what you're saying. <laughs> Chris Jericho and Gareth Bale can get away with it. Well, um, David Beckham actually cop- copied Chris Jericho. Did you know that? Documented fact is that in right? my head. Okay. I'll take you away. In my head. <laughs> um, but yes, this one, I think it's very fair to say that this is going in the top five. It's sensational. Um, it's so good that it was copied um, several years later by uh, Chris Jericho. <laughs> because when he came back the second time... <laughs> Uh, when he did his entrance, he was basically wearing a facsimile of the outfit. So he, the 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 first day, the, the, well, the first, you can only have one debut, but the first debut, as it were, the first you know appearance was so good and so iconic that when he came back again, he you know mocked up the outfit because he knew that people would get the reference. So that says a lot. Um, I believe you. I believe you want to take us down a completely separate route. You know, a complete pivot from what we were just talking about in a company that's another side of the world. Uh, and you want to talk about a guy called uh, Chris Jericho yes I do <laughs> yeah there's only one guy on this list twice I believe um, and Jericho is your man unsurprisingly based on how often he reinvents himself but yeah the Jericho debut in New Japan so, you know, in my eyes single handedly revitalised an industry outside WWE it was such a big moment obviously there have been so many moving parts and so much momentum that the non-WWE world had, had gained over the over the few years preceding this with you know, the Young Bucks and um, Bullet Club and Kenny Omega uh, making such big waves 
And there's a reason that Jericho decided to jump in because he saw the opportunity, he saw what level they were at. But I still remember sitting on my kitchen, on my lounge floor, um, on a Sunday night, and within an hour of each other, you had video emerging of Triple H appearing at, um, I believe it was a progress wrestling show or an ICW show, some random British independent show, which at the time was just like, what? And that was the biggest news of the night. And then an hour later, out of nowhere, it's announced that Chris Jericho will be wrestling Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 14 a couple of months later. Well, Wrestle Kingdom 12, maybe. I'm sorry, I've got my numbers wrong. Um, just unreal. Um, and the debut was the match. Like, he appeared on screen on video a few times. Um, but his, de- his first appearance in that arena was this huge, enormous match with Kenny Omega, which, let's be honest, that was the match that truly set the wheels in motion for everything that followed. For All In, for AEW, for the whole alternative wrestling scene to stop being alternative and start being part of the mainstream. It was that match that set that in motion. And it was just a wonderful experience seeing Chris Jericho, a huge star in a completely different environment, absolutely killing it in a street fight with uh, with one of the top wrestlers in the world, a genuine dream match that nobody had even really contemplated um, until it was announced. Just totally different from everything else on this list, mate, but also totally, totally awesome. There's, I have really one problem with it. Go on. What year was it? 2017. You're going to tell me he appeared in New Japan before, aren't you? Because he did. I'm going to tell you he made his debut in New Japan in January 1997. Fucking hell. Like, how did I forget all that? And it clearly was, you know, there's no getting around it. Although, was he Chris Jericho or was he... Yeah, he was. He, he made his debut as Super Liger. Um, but he yeah. Did, but he did wrestle as Chris Jericho. I don't know how much he wrestled as Chris Jericho, but I know I know he wrestled as Chris Jericho because I because I happen to remember without even checking, I happen to remember that his last match in New Japan because I think he came back for one more match. He he teamed with Eddie, and I don't think Eddie was Eddie. What was Eddie's gimmick out there? He was Black Tiger. Black Tiger, right? So I think Jericho teamed with Black Tiger in his last match with New Japan. I remember it being in his book because he talked about right, working right. with Eddie. So well, he's gone. Well, yeah, I suppose it's a it's a technicality. It's a technicality. But te- if we, we can't have... be completely we can't be completely fragrant about our rooms. No, we can't. So here's another opportunity to try to try and test those. By the way, everything you said was spot on. You know, aside from the technicality about our list, you know, I I I, I happen to remember while you were talking. That Chris Jericho had been in a, had been in New Japan. You literally, literally said New Japan Pro Wrestling, and, and I thought just just the, the words. I think if you'd have said NJPW, I might not have picked up on it. But you said New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I thought, oh, he's been there before. And so uh, I happen no. to remember why. So I, oh, well. I've not been sitting there waiting to pounce on you for two days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I happen to remember it while you were talking, and, so, and I'm, I'm trying to cut people off at the past oh, before other people start complaining about us. Um, but we will have a conversation about this next person, because um, uh, the only way—well, there's only one way I can put it—is just by just by quoting them to say, "You people, you know who I am, but you don't 
know why I'm here and then so on hey. and so forth Scott Hall appearing in, at Nitro um, in 1996 yes yep um, again not just the moment the, well the moment of him turning up you could argue is just as equal as the moment of Luger turning up because it's a an established star from the other company showing up this is why I wanted to mention Luger earlier but the promo is gold it sets out from the start what, what he's all about he takes the piss out of Hogan he takes the piss out of Macho Man he takes the piss out of t- t- Billionaire Ted Scheme Gene then he issues a challenge he then says he's going to appear later on in the night so it's good programming because you're then tuning in for later on and when he comes in later on and he gets in the face of Bischoff he then promises something that's going to happen in the future it's actually two weeks later people misreport it and say it's the following week it wasn't it was two weeks later then, then they follow up on that one and it's Nash and you could argue that maybe the Nash debut wants wants a chat as well but I'm offering up the Scott Hall one um, as you know, just the way he marched out of the crowd, grabbed the microphone, stopped a match, and then started the program. And again, we're not worried about what happened afterwards in terms of this chat, but it has to be factored in that you know it got off to such an unbelievably good start because of everything that he did in one promo, and then later on that night, promising what was to come in the future. The issue is, do we say that Scott Hall had already worked in WCW? Not even a consideration. Scott Hall, the human being, had of course been in WCW, but Scott Hall, the character, had not not remotely been in WCW. Now, if it was Razor Ramon that had been in WCW, I might have been a bit more, oh, it's close, because effectively it was Razor Ramon with another name, wasn't it? But um, no, Diamond Stud had been in, uh, been in WCW, but Scott Hall, in my eyes, had not. Because that's really what it comes down to, is the, because I think at some point I think I'm fairly certain he wrestled at some point as Scott Hall in that company I, I don't it's, know how far back co- but I'm fairly certain he did but it's I, I don't think it's the same gimmick I don't think it's the it's, I think it's, it's the same name but it's like it's like Crush you know Crush as you know Kona Hawaii Crush is in my head not really the same as the Demolition guy and it's not really the same as the Nation of Domination guy. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a, that would be a really difficult one if we were ever talking about him. But this is a, a totally different character. A to- they never acknowledge the fact that he was there before, do they? They never come and say, this guy was around three years ago and was called the Diamond Stud. They're, they accept it to be a completely brand new thing. I think it's acceptable. I feel like we are bending our own rules because I'm fairly certain he worked as Scott Hall back he in did. a long way back. I'm, but... I'm just I'm just looking at it, he did. But you're right, it's about continuity, isn't it? Like the Chris Jericho character was the same character from his early days in, you know, New Japan all the way through to WCW, ECW, WWE and beyond. It was the same guy and it's the same continuity of character. Um, even though it jumped companies. Diamond Stud ceased to, Scott everything that came before Razor Ramon ceased to exist the minute he became Razor Ramon. Um, and then really Razor Ramon ceased to exist when he moved back to WCW so it was just the same performance playing different characters so a bending of the rules but I'm sure people will allow us this um, with an explanation I think it's totally fine um, I don't think it made my top five though however um, as, as great as it is and as pivotal as it is what I did love about it is how it set the tone straight away like you know the uh, the Luger match 
was a good example. So Luger comes out during um, during Nitro, stands fairly respectfully um, in the aisle, very sort of wrestling cliche. Whereas Scott Hall comes into the WCW ring, WCW arena, barely acknowledges that the two wrestlers in the ring even exist. Like he's, he's they're just nothing to him. And this is his show, and I just think, and they, and they bow to that. They just stop wrestling. And sort yeah, they stop the because it's Scott Hall. Always a fun quiz question. Uh, Name the wrestlers. Well, one was uh, Mike Enos. Mm-hmm. The Mauler, as uh, they called him. The Mauler. And I do forget the other one. I did look at this just the other week, but I can't remember who it was now. It was Steve Doll, who was uh, Steve Doll, otherwise was known as one half of Well Done. It was one of the Beverly Brothers That's... versus one of Well Done. <laughs> and I think, Mike Enos, I think Mike Enos was being managed by... Um, Rob Colonel uh, Rob Parker I think that's what they called him yes 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 yeah. even better even better but yeah I think there's not much nothing more I've got to say on it than you've already said um, it was it, forget the historical context it was a mind blowing moment absolutely mind blowing at the time and one I truly didn't see coming I only just started watching Nitro I you knew Hall of Nitro coming in because it had been documented um, even in those very, very, very early days of the internet, I think I must have. I think I actually heard it on hotlines that I rang now and again back then. But even so, just blow your mind, blow your brains out. Exciting. Yeah, um, I, I as a twelve-year-old so, yeah, had no idea. I had no idea that um, you know. I, I I think I had clocked that Razor Ramon hadn't been on TV for a while. Um, you know, I yeah. wonder, I wonder where Razor Ramon is. And I had literally been watching Nitro about a fortnight. And then Razor Ramon showed yeah, up. So, I, I can do all I can say is that you know, it changed. I probably if that hadn't if I watched WCW for a couple of weeks and was largely unmoved by it, and I think if I'd have started watching WCW six weeks earlier, I don't think I'd have been. I think I'd have stopped because it was boring, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And then Razor Ramon showed up, and I was a WWF guy, and I watched. You yeah. know, I watched because of the NWO, and I watched because of him, and. So to me, it's so. To me, it's my. It's it's impeccable because that literally made me carry on. Literally did its job and made me carry on watching. And so it achieved that. It was perfectly executed. It was. I think it's. I. I personally think it's an absolute. It should be a shoe in for the five. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, let's see. I got one more left. What about you? I do too. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that I think the one you got left is probably the same as mine. And it's got to be it's got to be Kane uh, T.L. Hopper I've got here <laughs> close enough it's got to be T.L. Hopper <laughs> I saw I read somewhere actually when I was researching a little bit this earlier on I saw someone say that that was one of it's one of JR's greatest calls ever that's got to be Kane and someone someone else went yeah it is and then the next person went uh wasn't it Vince and they all go oh yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, it was like the idea was it was such a good moment and it was such a great call that you just assume it's Jr. <laughs> because it, and it's like that's a fair po- it's a fair point. It's like because there's not all that many great Vince McMahon calls and moments, but this is one of them. Um, I think it's fair to retcon history for that. Yeah, well that's the, it's fine, but um, it's look well, your amazing. Moment, talk, talk it up. And- Amazing moment. Obviously, there'd been such a build-up to this Kane character, but perfectly built-up, and it had been mentioned and talked about, and then laid dormant for a yes. time for us to really forget about it. That exactly. was exactly exactly right. Nobody, 
nobody expected it. Nobody went into this match going, oh, I know what the finish is going to be. It's going to be the debut of Kane because he'd not been mentioned for about six weeks. But he'd also not been dropped. Um, but this match was so excellent in its execution, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, and the feud had been so well built up with Shawn Michaels. It's, this was the first event with Shawn Michaels as an out-and-out heel, I think. Maybe maybe Ground Zero counts as well. But I think I do think it was a bit of a tweener there. I think this was the first one where it was proper, proper heel. Um, and it was the first time in a cell match. It was one of the greatest matches of all time. Nobody, I don't think, listens to this needs me to document what happened in that match. Um, Shawn Michaels gets beaten the shit out of and does one of the all-time great selling performances. How can Undertaker possibly lose this? And it was it was number one contenders match, wasn't it, for Survivor Series for taking on Bret Hart next month? And then just as you think we're coming to the uh, to the finish, out comes Kay, straight down to the ring, tears the door off with his bare hands, takes out the Undertaker with a tombstone just like that, and fucks off. And that's Kay. Absolutely sensational. Um, Down to the music, because there's been plenty of like, yes. for, as a for example, someone we mentioned earlier on, Mankind's music is is great. It's you know it's, it's kind of demented and it's kind of twisted, and it suits him walking to the ring and looking around and whatever. And it's a great piece of music for that character. But if you put that music to Kane on that night, it wouldn't have worked. No, because the lights would have gone off and it would have gone. You'd have gone, what's that? But it didn't. It was heavy organ music, noise. It sounded like the Omen or something, you know, because that's what we were getting. This demon guy that was going to come out. It was horror movie, spectacular, religious overtones, over the top, and then the fire, and then the. It was a horror movie score, long before May nineteenth. And it was yes, that was impeccable. And it's like you, there's nowhere to fault this, is there? Because your point, your point about the build-up is so right. I think they might have mentioned it in the in the few weeks beforehand, but only in a passing mention from the announcers, not a very obvious you know storyline in the ring. And actually, there are times over the last twenty years where they literally would have done a um. You know, a, a montage during the show reminding you of all of Undertaker's issues with Kane. Yes. You know, yeah, I, sus- yeah, yeah. I, I suspect, I don't remember, but I suspect in the build up video to the Michaels Undertaker match, they might have had a little passing reference to, to Paul Bearer in there. But I don't I don't know they did. I think they had nothing to do because the Michael Saker feud was absolutely nothing to do with Bearer. No, I agree. I agree nothing. it was nothing. I agree it was nothing to do with it, but I think, I mean, we're talking, when was Bad Blood? November? Bad Bad was October. Was October. Okay, well, it's, it's been at least eight, eight or ten weeks since, you know, since SummerSlam. So, you know, there was time for... I'm, I'm, I don't think the last appearance of, of Paul Bearer and the Kane thing was before SummerSlam. I, I think he mentioned it afterwards. I think it was mentioned in the build-up to the Ground Zero thing. But... Well, I'd be interested to go back and look at that. Actually, even, if it was, even if it was three weeks. Even if it was three weeks. That's, that's still plenty. That's still enough for it to have, you know, gone out of people's brains a little bit and then to come back at the right time. Um... You know, but how heavy-handed have they been before? Just to—it's a little bit like, do you know if you're watching Match of the Day and you see someone um, get booked, like you know that they're going to get sent off. You know, yes, because because they wouldn't show you the booking otherwise. Or if someone comes on as a, you see them come on as a substitute, you know they're going to score. 
it's like it's that foretelling or when uh, when Father Ted says to everyone in the audience the, the, the last one of these I was at we did a raffle and the person organising the raffle actually won so, so that kind of thing can happen you know that kind of ridiculous over the top foreshadowing um, and it's to WWE's credit that they realised that they didn't have to do that and they deliberately didn't so that's fantastic the music is fantastic the match is fantastic and again like we were talking about earlier on with, with Mankind and the Giant Gonzalez he laid out Taker which people almost never do we're making it sound like it happened every week but actually only a few people have done it in sure. history and and then he walks away and then Sean wins and then you're having all these questions in your mind you know what's going to happen and then from there you know the, the Undertaker Kane story takes lots of twists and turns and we could argue that till the uh, until the cows get their um, their return ticket but at the, as it as it goes you know it's just uh, I think it's I think this is a, a very very strong case of I, I think this could win I think we, when we do our poll I think this could have a chance yeah, of winning it's it's so strong let me see what we've got on the uh, on the comments on, on the socials if I let's go through all the ones that we haven't got well, the ones I've flagged up anyway that we haven't gone through um, because I think we're done with our names Lee Milson said about DDP DDP's debut, WWE debut was huge at the time the crowd went crazy and I can still remember JR shouting DDP's the stalker DDP's a sicko could have been long term huge but it wasn't to be uh, we've talked about Nick um, saying about Eric Bischoff but he did also say about Sting which you said earlier on Sting's debut um, was such a feel good moment sidestepping the question of how his run was subsequently handled again people are often making that reference and obviously we're trying to stay away from that a little bit uh, but sidestepping that Seeing Sting arrive to stand up to the tyrannical authority and fight the good fight was truly awesome. Very well said. Richard House and Taz at the Royal Rumble 2000 was a big one. Enormous pop. Shame about the aftermath. Mankind's debut was horrifying and impressive given what he did to Taker. Um, Leanne um, said, without Jericho's debut, I wouldn't be a wrestling fan. So for me, it's the greatest. That's big words. Uh, James D said about The Shield, either their debut or their debut match, both are great. And then Daniel Stockwell, it's got to be Kane. He's responded to by Craig Aldridge, who says, this is the correct answer and conveniently the appropriate quote. And Will Kitchen follows it up. <laughs> yeah, definitely Kane. A monster character has never made a better introduction and it breathed new life into the dead man's prospects. Um, one, one other, John Thorndike says, um, Scott Hall on Nitro had to be the best as no one saw it coming. Um, all very, very fair points, uh, all of which we've taken into account. We've gone through ours. And indeed, we've not actually made our long list that much shorter. We've got quite a lot of uh-huh. names on here. So I think we, we, we start with, are there any that we feel are definites? Well, Jericho, Ken... I feel like Nexus, they're the only... I think. Okay, because I've got Nexus as well. I'm pleased you said that. Because I've got Nexus as well. My four... Absolute... My, my outstanding four... When I, the first ones they came up with, and when I came up with lots more, they stayed in their position. I've written down Kane, Jericho, Scott Hall, Nexus. They're, they're my four that I feel certain about, and I need to add one more if this was a personal five. Obviously, as you know, on this podcast, if one of us disagrees with the other, then we can absolutely veto. If Paul says, no way Scott Hall going on there, I will respect that. That's not a problem, but um, I think it's really a case. So we'll, 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 we'll say three, shall we? We'll say Kane, Jericho, and Nexus. Yeah. I suspect, I suspect I'm, I'm offering you I'm offering you Scott the, Hall yeah I, th- I think I think we'll probably end up with Hall but let's just do the exercise cool um, so he gets, gets pencil in then let's get rid of some first let's get rid of some first so okay, first I've one, got a long list here okay let me see how many I've got oh, I have got one two three four I've still got twelve I think left on my list here 
not including Scotland. I think I've got 13, but anyway, I think we're close enough. Okay. So, um, first of all, let's let's drop some off at the bottom. So, I think we can probably comfortably drop off Jan Gonzalez. Yeah, I'm sort of tempted with it. I'm really tempted with it because I think it's. <laughs> it would be fun to see people's reactions to a body one, but really, I just think that for a bad end. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually think there would be several that I would get rid of before that, but I, I do accept that. It's, Possible. Even if it gets into a five, people, out of context, it's going to look weird. Yeah, exactly. I think we can get rid of Cena, and I think we can get rid of Kevin Owens. Yeah, I like Owens better than Cena, um, and uh, I kind of think if we get rid of Owens, we've got to get rid of Mankind because to me they're about the same. And I, I, I really, would probably agree with that. I really, really like both of them. Um, but to me they're virtually the same sort of thing I think they're both really really brilliantly well done I don't think we'd have I think Cena is, is, is great but I don't think it's I think it could have been I think ten other people could have done that and we forget nine of them because they didn't end up being John Cena correct I think the other three that I can get rid of very well the four I think we can get rid of fairly easily Goldberg in WWE yeah I'm not I, I wasn't really on board with that from the start so I'm uh, and I, I, I would yeah I would I think if we for example if you if you're thinking of the total of everything that happened I like the moment and I like the the nature of them but I don't think the radicals really did enough I think yeah, agreed. They're, sim- they're simply showing up really and it's a great moment and it's worthy of the chat and it deserves to be on the medium list but it's not you know when you consider if we're talking Kane Jericho Nexus and potentially Scott Hall the radicals don't do enough to match up with those okay so the other ones I think we can get rid of fairly promptly two of them actually Brock Lesnar and The Shield yeah certainly Lesnar I think I put Lesnar in the same sort of category as the Cena thing um, probably a bit better but again I think it's lots of other things that Lesnar did to become a star I think lots of people have had a mind-blowing first night and then faded away and we've just forgotten about them because they've because as I say they faded away so like to be, like we never even said about Braun Strowman's first night. Like Braun Strowman's first night was pretty amazing when he turned up as a big, a big new Wyatt family guy. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I think there's, I think there are so, others. It was okay. Uh, by the way, Hall's going on the list. I think we can put him in pen. Okay. Um, Hall's on what we've got left. I think Hall's definitely a fourth. So the way I see it, I've got I've got four left now. Yeah. So I've got if we match up, I've got Sting, Taz, Lawler, and Nakamura. Correct. So, what do we drop off the end of this? It's quite tough, this one, actually. I think we drop Sting off. Yeah, I do as well. I do as well, because I think it's, it, was a gr- it was great fun, but it wasn't different. It didn't change the industry. It was kind of coming. It was a surprise. It was more the time. It was like, it was a surprise in the sense that if I told you your Sainsbury's delivery was coming tomorrow, but I didn't tell you what your time slot was. Sure. When the doorbell goes at half eight in the morning, you're going to go, oh, are they here already? Like, you knew they were coming. You just didn't know what time they were coming. And it's like, I feel like, I feel like it was, it was inevitable Sting would show up. And it was great fun, but it, it didn't change the world, did it? That's an awful analogy, by the way. But we'll let it slide. Um, so that leaves with three. It leaves with Lawler, Nakamura and Taz. And I'm struggling to decide between the three. My temptation... Is to go with Nakamura. Um, they're so different, aren't they? All three of them are so different. Yeah, yeah. Because 
my instinct is to go with Taz, but I sort of feel like I, I sort of feel like Taz is, you know, I've argued against myself. I feel like Taz has been in the company. Well, he's been on Raw. He's been on Raw and wrestled on Raw before that, and it's like, you're, and he was you're Taz. Right, and, you're right. and he was Taz. And, well, you, well, you only have one Z. <laughs> but if um, <laughs> if you're if if we're discounting Chris Jericho in New Japan, we definitely have to discount Taz. Actually, yeah, I kind of think we do. I kind of think we do. It's the same character. Yeah, he fell off the yeah. fell off the R. Do you remember the whole thing? He fell off, he fell off the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I don't think we can include him. I think um, I'm terrified that there's going to be someone else now that's going to. By the way, if any, if, <laughs> if you know if. if you know, if someone else has been a, uh, you know, if I know it doesn't matter actually because it's, uh, I think Jericho probably was a jobber at some point on, on WWE, but uh, you, you know, it doesn't that doesn't count. Right, it's Lawler. He never, it's Lawler, he never was. It's he never Lawler was. or Knackers. Old Knackers or young Knackers. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm saying Nakamura. How strongly do you feel about it? Do you, do you know? Do you know what's the irony here? Right, Go if on. irony is quite the right word, is that I came up with a long list of things, and you came up with a long list of things, and the last two that we're down to to decide the fifth place, I didn't have yours down, and you didn't have mine. Yeah, 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 yeah it's true. Because my true. argument against Nakamura was about to be, I wouldn't have thought of it unless you'd have said it, and the fact that I could have come up with thirty debuts and not thought of your one suggests to me that it's not memorable enough to make it but then you didn't remember mine so if I say no. that I've scuffered my own argument um, I think I, I mean I side with Lawler I do side with Lawler because I think in terms of what you want from you know a debut in terms of it being a su- surprising being you know to- totally shocking also fitting on the card because there'd already been a slight disappointment because of the you know the the, the Raven thing um, totally shocking never saw it coming big name everyone knew who he was big for the company drawing eyeballs to the company um, building towards a match in the future or matches in the future you know I, I feel it, it it ticks a lot more boxes than someone that I knew was very good having a very good match like I'm not I'm not surprised by Nakamura because I knew he was a great wrestler and I knew he'd have a good match on his debut I feel like that's the there's no shock value there's no uh, you know, there's no sort of anything extra other than, yeah, it was a good match. It, was, no, it wasn't a good match. It was a fantastic match. And it's the best match he's had in the company. It's one of the best matches the company's had in a long time. It's one of the best matches he's had in his career. But I, I, I hate to be that guy, but actually wrestling matches in the grand scheme of things aren't always as important as people think they are. And I just don't know what this set up. I think is, is possibly my issue um, and it's, it's, it's not an issue it absolutely deserves to be in the top 10 it deserves to be in the top 6 or 7 it's a, it's a great moment a great wrestler having a fantastic match and as you said if actually if anything it had a, a longer serving consequences it, it served to reinforce that NXT was an absolutely exceptional brand that had great matches and was constantly reinventing because as we were losing um Sammy, we were gaining Shinsuke. Um, so I can see where that would come in. 
And I just like Lawler's moment better as a debut. I feel like it's got more first night. Like, if Nakamura had appeared the week before on NXT and done an in-ring interview hyping the pay-per-view match, that would count as his debut. I know he didn't, so I know me saying if is not a valid, because he didn't. But I feel like that wouldn't have necessarily changed the pay-per-view thing, whereas Lawler coming out of nowhere and doing what he did um, with RVD and Sabu was just... It has that extra uh, to it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think, I think I'm right by much. I don't think I'm right by much. No, I, w- I wouldn't massively have a problem do I. if it was the other way around. And I was, I thought we were getting into, we'll put six on the list territory, as I think we've done twice before. And if you wanted to do that, no. I, I wouldn't be mega upset. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I actually think based I, on what you said, I think... I actually think whichever one we come up with will come last. Uh, agreed. Because but, I, think, um, I think the other four are very strong. Yes, I, I, that's part of the reason why I'm not going to argue the toss too much, but also because I think what you said is bang on the money. So there's what, if I was being absolute, if I was being absolutely honest, do you know what I'd put in in number five? Go on. I'd put Gonzalez as five. That's what I would put. But I'm not going to put. I'm not going to. I'm not going to put I'm not no 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 not for shits and giggles because I think <laughs> I think it is one of the greatest debuts of all time I think in absolute tell me anything that's wrong with it no I agree with you I it's agree absolutely you. amazing but, but it won't win we have locked so, in our five yeah well, okay I'm, we've I'm, locked I'm, in our five I'm happy with the Lawler I'm happy with the Lawler and I also like that and we've not done this deliberately folks but I also like the fact that we're representing at least three companies um, the fact that there is an ECW yeah. and a WCW one in there it's not listen we always say if the five best things are on WWE or if the five best things are on TNA we actually haven't even talked about TNA we haven't talked about Kurt Angle on TNA you know yeah we probably could have had Kurt, we probably could have had Kurt in TNA um, we won't do too much more on it but because I actually ultimately don't think it would make the five but it was a great day I think one of the reasons it wouldn't actually is so, sorry TNA and sorry to you who was probably working for them at the time I'm not sure TNA was quite a big enough deal for it to have you know have counted at that point it probably started to become a bigger deal after that because Kurt had gone there um, but the fact that it was a total surprise and he came out headbutted Joe and started something you know, I actually think in hindsight it would definitely be a contender. But I do, I do think that Lawler, Nakamura, and indeed Gonzalez are probably ahead of it. You know, for their sheer shock value and for all sorts of things. Yeah, no, I will. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I wouldn't have it close to the top five. So that gives us Nexus, Kane, Chris Jericho in WWE, Scott Hall in WCW, and Jerry Lawler in ECW. Damn good list pretty good list very happy with it indeed should say one final thing before we wrap up is that um, some people might suggest that we could have had you know like a, you know Floyd Mayweather or um, Lawrence Taylor or stuff like that but I think we unspeakingly agreed that that's a one-off guest appearance that yeah. Yeah, I think the, the moment that you know Mayweather splashed Big Show's nose across his face so there's a hell of a moment but I just don't consider that as a factor because they're not really making a debut are they they're sort of you might as well include Tyson in there as well for fighting Austin and then you go down a completely different road yeah. so uh, I think we'll leave that but I could understand why people would be saying what are you saying about Tyson and Mayweather and whatever and 
you know, we, we'll, we'll do another one of celebrities another day. Uh, right, thank you for listening, yes. folks. That was um, great fun. It was very hard, actually, to get, get that nailed down, but I think we've done a, a good job. So, as Paul says, Kane, Jericho, Nexus Hall, and Lawler become the five contenders. Your job now is to go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote to lay down your decision for one of those five. I think I would vote for Nexus. I think Kane will win. But then I think with other people, when we've when we've mentioned it, I think Jericho has probably been the one that's been mentioned the most. So I think it's a very open field. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I won't influence it anymore. Neither will I allow Paul. I will wrap up now. So thank you, to, thank you too, Paul. Um, and I didn't really thank him properly for um, for last week, but thank you for Dean for covering last week. He did a uh, a very very fine job. Um, but we're back on Sunday for the uh, quiz, uh, folks. Um, for the quiz on Facebook Live on Sunday night at 8 p.m. And as we've mentioned elsewhere in this podcast, don't forget that we have a plethora of other podcasts, including but not limited to two more that Paul's on, How Mania uh, and How Kids Talk, uh, as well as Because WCW and various others on the podcast network, always growing and plenty going on on the website. So check all that out. Uh, We'll be back with another one of these next week uh, on How To Be Great. That's when you'll find out the winner of the poll and we'll set our new topic. Anything to add, Paul, before we wrap up? Not from me, and you've done all the heavy leg work, mate. So thank you for listening, guys, and you know enjoy the re- enjoy the podcast, enjoy the rest of your weeks, and uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely, uh, enjoy the uh, the wrestling week ahead. We'll speak to you next week, and just remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. See you very soon. <laughs>